Where were you born? Born in a small town right outside of Chicago, Illinois, about 45 minutes south called Kankakee, Illinois. You got to know somebody to know somebody so to how, even know anything about their place. How small of a town are we talking? Very small. Like, you don't even, you've never heard of it. You've never heard anything near it. That's how small it is. <laughs> how far were you from Chicago? Probably about 45 minutes. Okay, so yeah, not 45 that bad. minutes south. Yeah, we, we, we were close enough to Chicago to be influenced by some of the, some of the Chicago ways, so, yeah. So, growing up, were you in the small town for most of your life, or did you move out at some point? How did that happen? We moved you know? back and forth. I'm, uh, um, probably to about the fourth grade, I remember we moved from Kankakee to Colorado Springs, Colorado. Um, right. I was the only black kid in the fifth grade. Out of all fifth, there was four fifth grade classes, I was the only black dude there. I had an afro. So we're talking about the uh, 80s. So, And what was the reason for all of the moving around? My mother did not want us to be, me and my older brother, she didn't want us to be raised in Kankakee. Um, she was raised there, and she kind of seen that, you know, it really didn't have, have much to offer at the time. So she wanted us to have a, a you know, a wider option of, of you know, of life. So. so she thought, you know, moving to a bigger city, Bigger place, better place. It was, it was nice. My, and then I had an aunt out there, too. So my aunt and my cousins was out there. So, um, you know, it was, it was nice to make that transition from this small town to seeing mountains and things I never dreamed of seeing as a kid. So, How was it um, growing up in Colorado besides being only, like, it was the cool. only black kid? Did you have friends? I had, friend, I had a lot of friends. I mean, you got to keep in mind I was very popular. All right. I was, I was the king of the, of the fifth grade, man. I was the only black dude, so I automatically was voted the king of the fifth grade. <laughs> Um, so it was cool, man. Um, I was, I was, I was being whitewashed at the time. Didn't realize it. Um, what, my, like, what, what did that look like? It was things like, um, like all my white friends, they had me listening to Motley Crue and Rat and talking like, yeah, whatever, dude, you freaking suck. And I got this Afro and I'm not, you know what I'm saying? So I was, I was literally, you know, just doing white people stuff, man. It was cool though. Riding horses without no saddle and all kind of stuff. Damn. You, you were like. Semi-city life, semi-country life. I was living the white dream, man. I had it all. I had it all. You know, living it vicariously through my my white friends. So siblings and stuff growing up, or is it just siblings? I got an older brother um, that I grew up with, and I have uh, two sisters on my father's side. I didn't grow up with him, but I do know them. Got it. But mostly just me and my older brother. So your parents split up at some point? Never had no. You know, we, I'm from the black, the typical black homes. Uh, my mother raised me and my my brother as a, a single mother. Uh, handled her business. Uh, went to school and uh, got a nursing degree and everything. And you know, we watched her hustle and go to work and come home for a couple of hours and go to another job and do all that. So we had. I always had hustle in my in my view. And did that kind of like instill this? go-getter attitude absolutely. of like wanting to go for more than just, you know, a job. Yeah, absolutely. Because when you see, when you, when, you know, that becomes my norm. My norm is to see my mother go get it. She didn't sit around and wait. You know, uh, my mother passed away, unfortunately, when, when she was in her mid thirties, but Sorry before, thank you. But before, um, you know, she passed away, she accomplished some, some decent goals. You know, she owned her own car, uh, her own house. Um, she had me and my brother set up, you know, financially that we should be stable for a little bit. Um, so she, I, you know, I, I commend her and applaud her for what she did. So when your mom passed away, um, wh- actually what was the, re- what caused her? Well, she died of cancer. Died of yeah. Cancer. Yeah. So, yep. And where did you and your brother end up? Who was raising you guys at this point? So from that point on, we were raised, uh, with my grandparents. 
my grandmother, who, uh, if you ever heard any of my stand-up, my grandmother was a white lady. Um, I who, haven't heard that. I've heard your yeah, stand-up. This is kind of uh, like why we're sitting down together. Well, I have one of the joke. My, one of my opening jokes is my grandmother was white. The only black she had in her was my grandfather. Um, I wonder if you opened with that one the night I saw. I you did. I probably did. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure I, opened, I had it in there. But yeah, so my uh, my grandmother was a white lady, who uh, who called us racial slurs, but she'd kill you if you did it. So, yeah, I, I, mean, I remember you talked about yes, something like that. And that's, yes, that's, that's I, absolute I, truth. So. Um, we kind of grew up with that, so that's why I do like a lot of my comedy is based off of racism, and um, I, th- I, th- I think it's stupid personally. The so, idea of racism, or just the fact of I'm I'm a hate I'm a dislike you, not even knowing you, but I'm I'm just going to dislike you because you're different from me. Your, your skin tone is different, or your beliefs are different, or your lifestyle is different from mine. So I just automatically the isms. I that's it's stupid, you know. It, and so at least get to know me first, right? You know. Um, you're going to find out there's a whole bunch of other reasons why you're not going to like me, but at least give me an opportunity to disappoint you, you know? I, li- I like that. Though. That's the better attitude of, like, get to yeah. know me and then hate me for something that at least I that- am to blame for, you know, right. something that I espouse to or I believe in versus I was just born in a region of the world that right. made me look this way versus your way. That's it. Right. And don't kind of where it ends. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. Like, there's buttholes in every race. Like, I, I know enough people. I know black people, white people, Mexicans. I know... Um, people from India, I know people from everywhere, and I know enough that they have buttholes, we all have buttholes in every race, so if you oh, got yeah. a problem, if you got a problem with a, with a particular black guy, a particular white guy, blame that particular person, don't just round it off to the whole race, because there's too many other people that I know that are not like that, so. Yeah, like, I, and I think you're right to that, to the extent of most people in most, whatever category you want to pop them into, are normal people. Right. Then you've got, like, some people severely to one side and other people severely to the other side they're still within the same group right but if you like kind of get you know if you meet one of them on the fringes you might make an opinion or an assumption this is kind of where we get stereotypes from and it all kind of like leads into sooner or later it becomes hate exactly versus going like oh yeah that's why everybody is cool because we're all different right in a lot of ways and the crazies exist in every single group every one man and then there's like 98% of us that sit there going like, but we don't understand them at all. Right. We are right. not them. I think right. it, it com- comes into like politics too. Yeah. Where it's like, it doesn't matter what side you're on, you have to be with the crazies for some reason. You're like, I, no. Yeah, when it's all said and done, man, which is wild, so. It, it's crazy. Like, I don't know. We've come into this weird place in the world where it's like we have a lot more voices yeah. But not necessarily the right voices being heard. Right. And I think the more I think with that, it's just um everybody wants to be influential. They they're not even thinking like they just influence they just want to influence somebody. They don't care if it's right or wrong or what. Um, you know, like with my comedy, first of all, I try to I touch on different different, you know, aspects of comedy. I I deal with racism, I deal with this over here. Um, but it's not to offend anybody. I walk a thin line with it. I know how to make everybody laugh and make everybody feel comfortable. Um, and that's the whole goal. The whole goal for, is for all of us to laugh. I don't care where you're from, you know, what race, what background, what religion, whatever. Let's just laugh. You yeah, know? and I, th- I think um, especially nowadays when I look at comedy, the best comedians um, use their race mm-hmm. as part of their act, but it is not their act. Uh, you know what I mean? Like right. take any comedian that is not – traditional comedian like you know an immigrant or someone from a racial background or 
someone that is of a different, let's say, gender ideology, whatever it is. Right. The really good ones will pop that in there. Like Matteo Lane, he's a gay comedian just right. blowing up everywhere. He puts in, in part of his act, but it isn't the act. You know, It's right. kind of like it helps uh, the foundation of it, right. but it isn't the whole basis. And that's how you get everybody to laugh with you. Right, like, exactly. You know what I mean? Yep. And I think that's kind of what your comedy is to me. Is it was The racism was there, but it was meant to bring everybody together to understand exactly. how stupid it actually is versus... And that's the validity my, of it. Right, and that's my goal. So I'm I'm glad that I'm able to I'm glad that you got that out, out of what I was projecting and so. stuff. Yeah, no, it was it was pretty clear there that your your brand of comedy was like, we're all being a little stupid and I'm gonna tell you why. Right. But and and when everybody laughed, including me and I was sitting in the back with all the comedians and they're all laughing, you can tell that cool, we're all together now. Right. We've we've uh, we've made it, you know, it, we can kind of find an even ground. That's it. I mean let's, instead of you know, working on let's instead of looking at the differences, let's find the common ground. My biggest thing is this. I don't care what you believe in, what you do over here. Um, my goal is I want to know how you like your steak. You know what I'm saying? You like it You like it rare. You like it well done. What type of beer you drink? You know, we can. Find, I, I can always find a way that we can find some type of common ground. You know what I mean? I'm looking for a, a reason for us to unite. These isms look for reasons for us to divide. You know, so let's unite on something. You like, hey, do you play Uno? All right, let's, let's, let's start from there. You know, so it's like that's what I'm looking for, man. For me, truly, what I'm looking for is going back to a time where opposing sides could sit down and speak, not necessarily trying to convince each other, but right. getting to a common ground of, I don't agree with you, but I understand where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. If we can at least get to that, where we had that at one point in this country, that'd be awesome again. Because then we can actually, as the public, listen to what's going on Absolutely. and make a, a formulated opinion. And I think that's what comedy is right now. It's like you're getting a, a source of information in a very different perspective. Yep. Exactly. exactly. Um, oh, and to answer your question, I like my steak medium rare. There you go. And I usually drink, uh, if I drink, it's Stella. There we go. So now we got to understand it. What about yeah. you? Um, medium rare as well. So I meet you on the steak. If I do a beer, uh, I, I, I like Dos Equis. It's not too bad. I like Dos Equis to top it off a little Dos Equis bit. is a good beer. So yeah. The so dark or the light? The light. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm old school, man. So. <laughs> yeah. You remember the commercials, the most interesting man in the world? Yes, yes, they yes. They were great, yes. man. I look forward. They're memes now, but yeah, that's how we've gotten. It was like in the era where commercials really mattered because people were still watching him. Yes. So they they had to, they almost had like good writing and oh, yeah. good actors. And you're like, wow, man, people are putting thought into this. We have some, I, I grew up in the 90s, man. So I'm, I'm almost, I'm close to 50 years old. I'm 49, but we grew up in an era where commercials was everything. You know, we we have we had iconic commercials like the the Wendy's commercial with the "Where's the beef?" You know, yeah, we had that coming up and so yeah, commercials are, are yeah. And I mean, I remember jingles and stuff on the radio oh, yeah, that became absolutely. viral. Like, remember the Double Mint Twins and yes. the, the gum commercial? Yes, like everybody. I was in probably elementary school went nuts for like a good two months about oh, yeah. that. That was what viral was back then. A right. good commercial yep. was being viral. It was yep. crazy. That's crazy. Especially since the seated, uh, I remember when the internet was created, man. So I'd be able to tell my grandkids that. I remember before the internet. So. It's crazy though, right? Like how, what is a normal thing that everybody uses today, even I remember the inception of it. Because yes. I was old enough to, when it became, you know, not when it was created, but when it became public domain. Right. Where everybody right. had access to it and we can like, AOL became a thing and Netscape. I remember all that, man. We had to... Prior to that, you had to go get an encyclopedia. You wanted some information. What was this right here? Or get a, a dictionary and look that word up. So I remember those guys that would come door to door selling encyclopedias. Yes, my mother bought those, bought those, man. Yeah, that raised I, us. It kept I, us occupied. I remember my mom didn't 
um, we couldn't afford it. But what she did end up doing was, I think, found it at a thrift store and stuff. Oh, just... <laughs> and it, I, you know, it was a couple of years old, missing a few volumes. Right. But like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If yeah. you're looking for, you know, information, not much of Newton's theories have changed. Right. And not much of like dinosaur yeah. information was going to change in two years. So, like, as a kid, you're like, oh, cool stuff. It's crazy, man. My grandkids, they'll never know know those good old days right there. So, so how long did you spend in Colorado Springs? Colorado Springs, I spent, let me see, I did fifth grade and sixth, partial sixth grade. So probably a, a, maybe a year and a half, close to two years, almost two years. Okay. Um, my mother, when she had got sick, what ended up, when it ended up happening was she was sick. And by me being the youngest, I ended up going back to live with my grandmother. It was easy for me to, you know, go there. So, you know, my mother... Um, because she wasn't able to take care of me. She's in the hospital, in out the hospital. So she's going down. So I moved. That's when I moved back to Kankakee. Mm-hmm. So I'm living with my grandmother. Um, and my mother dies a little while after I start living with my grandmother. She okay. actually dies a day before my 12th birthday. Now get your tissue. I'm going to get you right here. Day before my 12th birthday, my mother passes away. Um, so that's one of the foundations. Like a lot of a lot of people don't understand them when they when they talk about real comedy, the reason why a lot of comics are really funny is because we've been through so much pain in life. So that's my dark side. That's the dark side of my my comedy. That's some of my fuel. I mean that that is a, a prevailing theme of all yeah. the people that I've had the opportunity to sit down and speak with, uh, with any comedy great you could think. Yeah, the 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 horrifying, right, really shitty thing has to happen. And like I mean, whew, it's almost somebody like, put the yeah. cherry on that cake by put, doing it a day before your birthday. A That's day heart wrenching, dude. For eleven year old kid, eleven year old day before my twelfth birthday. So for a long time, my birthday was never about celebration. It was always about remembrance and mourning. You know what I mean? So because your mom passed away in her right, thirties, so, so she was so young and right. So now and then, check this out. That ain't even a half of it. So a little while after that, let's fast forward. Blah, 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 15, 16, whatever, 17, 20 years. Um. My grandmother gets sick. My, the woman who raised me, she gets sick of, of cancer. And she dies. On my birthday. Come on. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking like, hey, if the next person dies on my birthday, I'm going to kill one of you motherfuckers myself. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, that with that situation, I'm thinking like, man, y'all couldn't have found no other reason, no other time to, 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 to make love that I had to be born February 27th and now everybody's passing away. So that's, that's my horror. That's my horror right there. But the thing is, I know I, I've been I've been down before, so I want I don't want anybody to ever have to experience that. So I would rather make you laugh and keep you laughing through whatever you're going through. You know what I mean? I went through it so that you don't have to go through it. I cried so you don't have to cry. You know. So it's like I understand and I accept that. Yeah, I was thinking about this the other day, um, and I think the true art of a comedian is. You take what was horrifying in your past, channel that darkness into uh, light comedy. Mm-hmm. But I think every comedian probably knows that their version of what happened isn't what you're trying to touch upon. You're trying to get everybody else's heartstrings yep. about whatever happened in their life. Because yep. the be- worst part, you know, worst the day of your life is the worst day of your life. You can't right. be compared to anyone else's. Right, exactly. And I think that's what the art of comedy is like. True comedians have this way of touching on what happened like when you talked about your mom dying like my mind went to a bunch of places that were bad for me right right and i'm sure a lot of people will go to that place and you can stay there or what you do as a comedian is hang on now 
Let's boost this up. Let's start laughing right. about it. Let's start understanding that shit happens to everybody. Right. But I'm the only one that can make you laugh about it. Exactly. And, and the thing about that is it's all about perception when it comes. Like you, we talk mm-hmm. about perception. It's about how you view your situation. I can view it and say, oh, man, God, you was mean to me and that's messed up my mom and dad or my mother, my mother and grandmother had to die. But my, this is my perception of it. I'm thankful for my present strength that I have. And I know that without my present, without my feet, my past struggle, I would not be able to have my present strength. So I can't be thankful for the for how strong I am, without being thankful for the for the road that it took me to get there. That's like a person uh, glorifying their muscles and then getting an attitude with the gym. If it wasn't for the gym, the hard times that you had to press against that iron in the dark days when you had to press against life, that's what makes you strong. So I can't glorify my muscles without you know being thankful for what I had to go through. You know. Dude. To that effect, so when I want to rewind back, when you're, did they tell you that your mom had passed away? Or did no, they, all right. Did so they hold it off. Like with my what mother. Happened? All right, so let me tell you with my mother. I um I remember we moved. Okay, my grandmother she had like a two bedroom house. It wasn't that much bigger than this this space where we at now. So I remember I was sleeping on the couch. I had to sleep on the couch, and my mother had she was sleeping on a rollaway bed in the living room with me, right. Mm-hmm. So I was, you know, we, we, we was raised in church, man. You know, we grew up in church, so we, we was in church every Sunday, and we knew about prayer and different things like that. So I remember praying and praying that whole week. And I remember I was praying to God, and I just kept asking God, Lord, let her, let her live to see my birthday. You know, I'm 11 years old, right? So I never forget, so I'm praying, God, let her live to see my birthday. Let her live to see my birthday. Um, we end up going to the hospital to, you know, just visit her. She's in the hospital at this time. Um, and I'll never forget, I went to the edge of her bed. Like my grandmother, she first, she told me, she said, if I let you go see her, you got to promise me you wasn't going to cry. Well, I knew I was going to cry anyway, but I still wanted to see my mother because I hadn't seen her because she had, she was sick. So it was like times where they had her in surgery or whatever the case was. So I couldn't see her for whatever. So I finally go in there and I remember standing at the edge of her bed and I looked my mother in her eye, like her eyes, just to, and just to see her, she was just helpless, man. You know, she's sitting there and to know that this is your, you know, your vibrant mother that, would do things like she would get up and go to work and on days off, you know, she was out playing, you know, like we would, I remember times she would take us to the state park and we would play softball and different things, you know, little things like that. And just, just to see her on, on, on a bed, just helpless, just, just laying there. Um, it showed me immediately as a kid, how selfless or how selfish I was because I'm praying that God let her live to see another day. But really what's happening is it's like, Lord, let her live to be tormented you know, 24 more hours just so I can be happy that she won't even, you know, you know what I mean? So it's like, I know exactly what you mean. So it was like, once I seen that, I'll never forget. I, I started crying. Right. And my, 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 and and they took me out of the room, but they didn't really realize why I was crying. I never told anybody much, you know, too many people don't know the story, but I started crying because not because it was all of her suffering, but it was more because I released her to God. I was more like, I pray, my prayer changed immediately. And I said, Lord, I don't want to see her suffer anymore. I don't care what day it is. Take her home with you. And she died February 26th. So for me to be able to say she died February 26th, as opposed to February 27th or 28th or whatever, um, I knew what happened with my relationship with God, where I released her. And, and that, that right there has always, you know, set in my spirit, you know? So that was the situation behind that. Reflecting back on that now, do you find solace that you didn't lose your faith and that you changed your prayer? 
Absolutely. Absolutely, I, because of my present day situation, because I have grandchildren now. How right? Many? I have grandchildren. My, all my kids are grown. I have uh, a boy and a girl. I have, I have stepkids, but they're older. They're grown. Um, Which you broke the cycle. Exactly. The whole mom and nine, dad raised mom the and family. Dad, the whole nine. My father wasn't around, so that's why I stuck around. So when people say excuses about, well, um, you know, your father didn't have. No, nah, I don't want to hear all that, man. Because you, it's up to you to break that cycle. I don't care what what cards you was dealt. You got to pl- you play that hand out, and you do what you know is right. There is no way in the world I would have left my wife um, alone with, with with our kids. That that's that's wrong. That's wrong. Is I don't care what what goes on. No, nah, you got to be there. So I was there to raise my kids, got them out. I got grandkids now. So for my mother to never have, you know, uh, to see see her grandchildren, you know, and to know that I'm I'm raising her, you know, which you know, would have been her great great grandchildren, um, that's a blessing enough for me to to be able to, to live that long. So it's like to me, it's about perception. How are you going to view your situation? You right. know, you can view, you can view it as as wrong, or you can view it uh, as help. I look at it from another view. For a long time, don't get me wrong. Um, I viewed it as, as, you know, I felt like I felt sorry for myself, you know, and I made some wrong decisions based off of those false emotions. But the more, but when I understood that this is where my strength came from, my whole attitude changed in life. And then I began to, you know, grab a hold of life and, and, and live from that angle. Wow. So, Oof, that's heavy, man. Yeah, but I mean, that's why I try to do what I do, man, because I, I don't want, I don't want you to hurt if you don't have to hurt. I know things are going to hurt you, don't get me wrong, but it would be better in your time of mourning for you to be laughing instead of crying. You know what I mean? And that's, that's just me. Like, because I've been there. Like, I've I, I felt alone in this world, man. I, I, like, when people talk about suicide, I ain't going to say I wanted to commit suicide, but I thought about, I thought about it. But, you know, but I, I'm also a hell believer, too. I ain't feel like, you know, I feel like I was going to go to hell. I ain't finna, and I ain't finna chance it on all that. I ain't got time to debate on all that. You debate, you believe what you believe. I'm believe what I believe, but I wasn't finna kill myself. But I did. I, I've been there to the point where I felt depressed. I felt alone. You know, I felt like nobody, nobody's uh, like I'm here uh, on this earth. You know, I was around. I was around a thousand people, but I was still lonely. So I know about that. You know, um, so my goal is I don't want everybody, anybody, to ever feel like that. So if we can share a laugh, we can we can bond on that laugh. You know, because that's something that we created. You know, I created that laugh or whatever the case, and we can share that forever. Remember that time when we was this, 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 and we laughed at this. Oh you yeah. Know? So and especially like if you have the opportunity of seeing stand up live and you're with a group of people, there's always like tell them people in their camera again, man, because stand is it's different. It's it, totally different. So I had a guest on yesterday and we were talking about some of the grades and the history of comedy. And we, we mentioned a ton of stuff to because it's so old, you can't see it live anymore. Right. A lot of those people are dead. I mean, most of them are dead. Yeah. But we were like, check it out. But yeah, we never actually got to the point where comedy especially stand-up comedy you miss in my opinion 80 percent of the funny if you're watching at home yep if you're there in the crowd like the whole group think dynamic where it's like if you ever watch a sporting event the wave when people do it like everybody almost does it in unison right right yep a laugh happens the same way if the funny is really there yep everybody laughs and it's it's almost like and comedy clubs are properly made this way with low ceilings and kind of smaller spaces for right. the acoustics to reverberate right. where it just kind of hypens it up more and Man, more so, and more. It's lovely. It's lovely. You, and you, I remember you. I, I, yeah, you know. You know. They don't understand that's an edited version. So the essence of what's really going on from even from the, 
the uh, the blurt outs or the improv and different things that don't make it to the to the film. That's what it's about. I mean, for me, if I see the finished product on a special, I know that there's probably six to eight months of work on the road. Oh yeah, where so much more funny shit happened that'll never be on this Netflix yes. special because it was situational to being in Poughkeepsie or being right. in Dallas, where exactly. that crowd. Gave you a, a spark of inspiration that turned it into something completely different. Absolutely. I love seeing that stuff. When comedians are working out, that's yeah. the greatest thing in the world yeah. to me. Because you can see the, the, the foundation of what they're doing, right. but they're not there yet. Right. Because it's too long right. or they're, they're, they've got the, you know, the punchline isn't where they want it to be right. yet. You know what I mean? Right. I love it, man. That's kind of the cool part. So like, yeah, you, plus alcohol is cheap at comedy clubs, dude. Like, yeah. Go to a comedy club. I'm telling you, it's some of the best uh, live entertainment. Like a lot of people, and like a lot of people don't understand. I tell people, I say, yo, if you're trying to get to know somebody, I said, bring them to a comedy club, especially oh, yeah. if you're on a first time date. Bring them to a comedy club because you're gonna see what type of person that 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 girl or that male really is by what they laugh at, what they respond to, because you can't hide the humor like that. And to that, I would even add on top of it. Don't look for some big name or your favorite comedian. Hey. Just go out to any night that comedy's happening, because. If you end up liking that person, you guys get married, you have a story. If one of those comedians blows up, which if, you know, eventually yeah. one of them will, that you'll see that in that Seriously. lineup. Yeah. You'll be like, dude, we saw that guy before yep. anybody knew that guy. Yes, and, sir. You know, like funny stories happen or beautiful stories happen if you put the right things into motion. Yep. But if you're going to wait for your favorite comedian to come in, then take her out and like, no, just go out. Do, drop. Go to Hyenas for a three for 25. There you go. It's a free show. You can just drop it and just check it out. There it's you fun. go. You got nothing to lose. You have nothing to lose. And, pe- and a lot of people don't think, they think because we're local, they don't understand that we're on the ground. We're funny. Yeah. We're ju- we just haven't been been seen on the right platform yet. We haven't been, been elevated or, or seen, you know, been on the right plat- you know, the, the platform that we seek. But we've been grinding. I've been grinding for for seven, going on eight years of doing this. And if I didn't feel like I had a real opportunity to make it, I wouldn't put that much effort into it. But the opportunity can happen at any given moment, and it's a reachable. Like it's not. It's not like I'm. I'm. I'm just doing something that's crazy. Like I'm trying to say, oh, I'm 49. I'm trying to make it to the NBA. Dude, stop. No, this is a reachable goal, bro. Like I've I've seen professional people. I've seen people on the road. I'm giving the same level of heat. The same level of laughter, if not better, than some of these cats that's on the road that's doing this or whatever. So I, 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 I know it's a reachable goal, and I'm going to obtain that goal. I think that the guys we have and the gals in Dallas that are amazing. Yes. When they travel south to Austin enough times, they will make it. Uh, yeah. They will. They will pop off because Austin has become Chicago, L.A., New York for comedians. Boston yeah. for comedians. Yeah. You can. You can make a big presence known there. So give it time, I think, because Austin's still in its infancy of being a comedy hotspot. You know, mm-hmm. like Rogan's joint just opened up and uh, Red Band's place just opened up. So there's going to be this mass influx into Texas. And I think Texas is getting hot, man. I don't like it's at least on on the comedy side. I can't say we, we heat in Texas up because yeah. we got some heat. Like we got some people, we got some folks in Texas. Like, I, and I'll tell any, like Texas is a hub of comedy because we we have diverse people. We have people from different areas. So if we really pull together our comedians from all these diverse areas that that grew up in Texas or 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 came up in comedy in Texas, man, we got some heat. I'm I'm gonna be honest with you. Like, it ain't too many 
I'm gonna be honest with you. If you really want to lay it down, and I and I, and some of the comments can support me on this, but we got. I think we got enough heat in Texas, man. We 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 can run with whoever. We'll run against anybody. As far as like the DFW, if the comics pull together, we got some heat. We got some some very funny comics, females, males. Uh, that's 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 doing some good good stuff. Oh, yeah, that's going yeah. that's going to make it. So, and the list is too long to start naming. It people, really is. But it's. Uh, Anybody you've seen on this podcast is a, a great comedian who's probably local to Dallas or within the Texas area. Um, I don't know. Just check out Hyenas Comedy Club, Addison Improv, Dallas Comedy Club. Like you got Hyenas Fort Worth, you Fort got Worth, Hyenas, you. Uh, Hyenas Fort Worth, Hyenas Dallas. You have Addison Improv. You have uh, Arlington Improv. You have TKs. Who else? You have lo- a lot of local shows that's going on. You got open mics that's, that's kicking off at bars where comedy. Uh, some comics are coming to work out material, try new material, so check it out. A lot of that stuff is free, man. So I got to see, I, I was at a random Wednesday or Thursday drop-in show at Hyenas. Okay. Ralph Barbosa came on. Ralph. And did Ralph a 25-minute set and just like murdered about, and I, I won't ruin the joke in any way, but it's about him and an interaction with the police. And it's one of the funniest goddamn yeah. things ever. Yeah, Ralph is from the DFW. Like he, he's from um, he's from this area. Like I've, I've seen me and Ralph know me. I know Ralph. I know. Uh, shout out to to Ralph for, for what he's doing to uh, Luis, uh, who's who's rocking with him in uh, Midnight Castillo. They all they they doing their thing, man. They they from here, and again, those are just three, no, and, and, and they Hispanic brothers. They out there representing murdering. Um, like I oh, said, yeah. that's just three from from the you know DFW. Um, we got some heat, man. Dude, you got so and just to give you like. Anybody that doesn't isn't familiar with Texas in general, right? You've got a bunch of really good killer Indian comedians. Oh yeah, a bunch Absolutely. of uh, white comedians that are amazing, black comedians yes. that are amazing, uh, Hispanic comedians that are amazing, and then in that mix is like bunch of smaller minority people that yes. are killing it out there. Yes, like there, there's a good. I was so surprised when I was like, holy shit, there's a big comedy scene in Dallas. It, the 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 comedy scene in Dallas is so so hot man you can almost find an open mic or some type of stage time almost seven days a week if if you want to apply it and really try you know you might have to travel from this little spot to this spot but if you really want to hit it this is a good place to work it out oh yeah like when i talk to some of the guys that you know kind of become friendly with that are doing open mics like they'll be in little elm and then they'll be in dallas comedy club and they'll be somewhere in plano and then they're like in a single night you can hit four or five clubs open mics if you wanted to yeah and that starts wednesday and goes yeah yeah it's hot out here man i love it it's, I love it. it's cool so I, i'm sorry to keep going back and forth no, on this we but good. come on uh, i'm interested to kind of like get a timeline of because you started comedy so much later than uh anybody that i know of right what was within your youth uh your creative outlet all right so i was i was the i was the guy that i was the friend that would come around um, I'm the life of the party. I'm the one. Hey, when Derek get here, we know it's going to pop off. Okay. I'm the one that if we were in a group, I would be the one that would step to the chicks, the group of chicks, and be like, yo, me and my homeboys over here trying to kick it. You over here with your homegirls. Why don't y'all come get it? So what gave you that kind of confidence? Just, um, I think from when I was little, I used to always have older girls flirt with me. Okay, and they would say things like, "Oh, you, you cute, you handsome, you gonna be my little, you my little boyfriend, or you gonna be my boyfriend when I get older," little stuff like that. 
You know so what I mean? Kind of like boosted you up, right? And then the fact that I got I got molested a couple of times by some babysitters. No, <laughs> no but uh, <laughs> but on, any truth to that? A little bit, a little bit, a little bit. I got touched a little bit by by a female babysitter, but I ain't really tripped. I don't think anybody really would. Well, how old were you? Uh, I don't know, but I was old enough where she shouldn't have been doing what she was doing. But All I, right. I was, I was still kind of player enough to be like, I ain't tripping. Gone and suck it if you're gonna do it. All you right. Know? So, but um, that's when I was younger in my in my in my my you know my managed days, if you will. Um, but no, I um, I don't. I lost my train of thought on that one. Uh, so. You were talking about uh, you were the life of the party. All right, I'm the life and, of the party, uh, so I would be the one. How your confidence level came I would up. be the one that would go over there and just, I was just cool with everybody. So, I like, in high school, I was the cool, I was just cool with, I didn't care who you were, I was cool with you. I was cool with the, with the, I was a, uh, not really a jock, but I played sports. But I was just, I was just cool with everybody. Black, white, young, old. And this is all in the small town, or just all, yeah, everybody know like if so. It, when you moved back, your grandmother raised you. You stayed there pretty much. I stayed there, but people still kind of knew knew who I was. Okay, right. So I'm staying there. By by the time I moved back with my grandmother, now I'm in junior high. Okay, all right. I'm a little older, and um, all right. So let me tell you what happened. Okay, so first of all, I'm 12 years old. First, I move, I live with my grandmother, and my grandmother is the first person I perform for for to get money. Okay, what'd you do? I I had a, I had a bit that I did for her. It was a crackhead bit. Okay. Right, so I'm walking. To, I'm walking to school, and before I would go to school, I would want to stop and get some candy. You know, like you know, some now later, some little candy or whatever. You know, so when we in class or whatever, so I would ask my grandmother for some money. Okay, and my grandmother would say she would be like, she was she she said, uh, well, what, what you know, what you need money for? And I would go into a bit. I'd be like, uh, I'm, I'm trying to get some crack. Grandma, so I'm you know, so from that point on, she used to be laughing, man, and she would dig in a purse and give me a dollar, dollar fifty, whatever. So I would do that almost every morning. Anytime I wanted money, I could just do that little bit for her. And so from that point on, she started nicknaming me Crack. So okay. my my name to, from her was Crack. So anytime she see me, like, what's going on, Crack? But I would do that little joke for her. But she was the actual first person that would have me do little things. Like I had a I had a bit where I did. Uh, my my aunt lived in my grandmother's house. And she had her own phone. This was back when, like in the 80s, when it was dope for you to have your own phone line as a teenager. So it was okay. like two phones in the house. Like my grandmother had a phone, a regular phone number. And then my aunt had her own phone. So I remember going to my aunt's room and calling the main house phone and calling my grandmother. And I did a bit where I made her think that she won like a, a Corvette or whatever. And I'm like... <laughs> Hello, uh, my name is Felipe, and I, I want to speak to uh, Lorraine Thompson. And so I did this joke, and so she laughed so hard about it that she used to have me call and prank her friends. But she was one of the main ones that really kind of influenced me as far as with, with comedy when I was little. So I was that I was the funny guy when I was little. So there was yeah. somebody supporting this. She supported me when, when it came to that because I could always make her laugh. You know, anytime I, if I ever lacked a laugh, I could go to grandma's house and I could do something funny and she was going to laugh. I guarantee you. So... What was the first time you actually went up on a stage and did stand up? All right, first time I went up on stage, I will never forget what got me there. I was in a I was working at a, at a warehouse job, and I'm still working. Don't get me wrong, but my goal is to do this full time. This is a reachable goal. So, so you got a career because I mean, 49. Obviously, you've had a life outside of comedy. Right, absolutely. What was that? So we'll okay, sidetrack so real quick. Warehouse. We're we're talking warehouse. We're talking. So logistics, things like that. Yeah, logistics. I drive all the all the forklifts, reach trucks, blah blah blah, in and out the, uh, all that. I can do all that. You know, printer, whatever, whatever, shipper, whatever. All that, anything that does warehouse, I can do that. 
All right, okay. so I've been doing a warehouse. Um, prior to that, I did just, I mean, basic, mostly warehouse jobs, but I did a, I did some security jobs, uh, different things like that. So Just grinding. Just grinding. I'm out here getting it because I still got to eat. Right. But it what it means is I can be funny, but until Netflix call me, I'm the funny dude on a forklift. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because until funny start paying the bills, I'm the funny dude that's out here grinding and getting up at, you know, being at work at 6 o'clock and, and putting in 12 hours a day. Uh, uh, un- until it pops off, you know, I'm not I like I said, I wish I could have stayed with my mom and daddy. But unfortunately, that wasn't the hand I was dealt. I got to get up and work. So, you know, until, like I said, when funny money pays the bills, then we'll do that. But until then, I'm out here getting it. I'm hustling. OK, so we got the whole career side of the things done. Warehousing, security, just like jobs, just to kind of make ends meet, raise your family, I'm raising my family, paying my bills. Doing what I got to do. Perfect. I'm in the warehouse. A woman is laughing at me. I'm just doing regular regular stuff. You know, keep in mind, I'm still, I'm not getting paid for it, but I'm a comic. I don't know I'm a comic because I'm just laughing at what, you know, I'm making you laugh. I'm making everybody laugh. We just laughing, having a good time, making time go by. A lady was laughing so hard. Uh, never forget, shout out to Miss Jackie. Lady was laughing so hard. She said, boy, you need to be on somebody's stage. That was it. And she planted that seed. For somebody to speak that over you without you trying to coerce them to say it or they're not they're not some kin to you or they're not you know what i'm saying they're just they're just being an honest opinion when she spoke it over me i thought about it it's like a butt of faith somebody that believes in you when they're not obligated to in any way word up it's like either she sold it she sold that seed and then based on the laughter that watered what she had just sold right so it flourishes, and I'm like, let me try it. I talked to my wife. Shout out to my wife. My wife believed me, believed in me in anything. I, if I'd be like, yo, I want to be a butterfly, she'd be like, all right, nigga, go on and get a cocoon. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so she like, supports everything. She's supportive, very supportive when it comes comes to certain things. You know what I'm saying? I love it. But if I'm wrong... She's also supportive enough to say, like, nah, you tripping. That's real support. So, and I love it. So, but I told her, I said, yo, I, I see, I, let me tell you what I did. I went to an open mic, right? Where? Uh, Arlington Improv. Shout out to the Arlington Improv. That's my home club. I'm telling you, club. Dallas I'm has a lot of places in and around the surrounding t- areas. I went to the Arlington Improv. I looked it up online. I found out, blah, blah, blah. Um, I did an open mic, and I was horrible. No laughs? None. I got one laugh and it scared me so bad. Like I tried to do a clean set, I got one laugh and it scared me so bad that I started cussing. And I don't even know why, because I don't even I don't really even cuss like that. I, I I will if I'm angry, but I got to be provoked. But I just I didn't know what I was doing. So I got that one little laugh. I never forget it was Nikki Haynar. Shout out to Nikki. That's my homegirl to this day. Um, was she a comedian too? She's a comedian too. She has a a very funny uh, man. She has a, a, a impression like a British impression. Okay. Spot on. You'd think she was really from there. All is, right. Is she more improv kind of comedian? She she has bits, but I don't know if she's still doing it as much because she went into the whole mothering, uh, you know, mothering and wife wife type thing. But so she made the ultimate sacrifice she made to continue the, ultimate the human sacrifice. race. Yes, but I'm I'm sure she's still funny. I'm 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 certain of that. But uh, so I I, I bomb on that. But then I, I I stick with it because I know I can do it. I just didn't know what I was doing at the time, but I knew I could do it. So I stuck with it. Went to some open mics, met some other comics, watched, learned, grew, stuck with it, watched, learned, grew, stuck with it, 
um, started going to the improv. As a comic, you get you get to uh, go to free shows, sat in the back of the club, watch the professionals that do it for a living. Free training. You got some killers that come through here. Some killers. Any black comic that's that, that's hot come through the Arlington Improv. Any white comic that's hot come through the Arlington Improv. Any Mexican, I don't care who you are, if you hot, they coming through the Arlington Improv. I get free shows. I go in the back of the club and watch all of them perform. So just this week and next week, you've got absolute murderers coming through Addison. You've got Dave Attell coming this, yes. I think he starts Thursday all yep. the way through Sunday because he keeps selling them out. Yep. And they're all sold out again, I think. And then you've got Eddie Griffin coming in the week after that. Absolute murder. Like if you haven't seen Eddie Griffin oh my live, gosh. yep. He is he comes alive on the stage. It's a it's a diff, it's kind of like Cat Williams style of comedy. Yep. We're just like so much bigger than life. You have to be there to see it live. It's 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 art. You have to experience it the way live it's meant to comedy be. is is like like none other, bro. But like there is murder after murder that will come through here. You just have to be on the lookout for it because shit sells out quick. And keep in mind, it's a comic. When you're connected with the comedy clubs, you get to go in there for free. This oh, yeah. is free training. Yeah, you you get to get a master class for free. For absolute free. So I'm sitting there in the back. I'm taking notes. I'm taking mental notes. I'm taking visual notes. I'm watching how they work the crowd. I'm watching this, watching that, watching the reaction. So I'm sitting there as a fan. Um, and, so then I'm, and I'm going home trying to apply that, man. So were you 40s when you went up to the stage I was, first I was time? Probably, yeah, maybe 41-ish. So what happens between making grandma laugh and... What seems like I'm a twenty-something la- year at hiatus. I'm at I'm at I'm at school. I'm at work. I'm in real life. I'm just, wherever I am. We laughing. So we la- you're just your regular day. Your regular, regular life, day. I'm everybody's type- laughing, but you don't know that you're an artist. I'm the life the of the comedy. party. I don't I don't know this at the time though. I mean I know I'm the life of the party, but I I know that like I had people. I remember when I was in high school. I had one guy. I never forget. Uh, he was coming to me. He said, "Hey man, I'm throwing." He said, "Hey Derek, I'm throwing a party, bro." I'm throwing a party uh, Friday for my birthday. He said, man, would you come? Right? He invited me personally because he knew I had an influence on people. Right? right. So it's almost like nowadays he'd be like, yo, Derek, check, check it out. I need you to come through my club, blah, 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 blah. I'm going to pay you $25,000. I just need you to show up and make an appearance. Right? So he wanted me to make like a guest appearance to his, to his party. I'm the type of dude to be like, yo, bro, I got you. So I started telling everybody, yo, we going. To, I'm going to his party. We're going to kick it Friday, blah, blah, blah. Everybody came, packed this whole party out. You know, that's the type of, type, type of dude I am. But on the other, other note, I'm also the type of dude where if you're my homie, you're my homie. I got love for you. You know, if you, if you show me love, I'm going to show you double love, right? I'm the type where I'll scratch. If your back itch, I'm going to scratch your back first. Okay. But if my back scratch... I f- I personally feel like I shouldn't have to go anybody to anybody's, you know, any any other place to get my back scratched. If I look out for you, look out for me, and we can grow as a friend. You yeah, know? I mean, like do unto others as you'd want done to you. Same same thing. And if I can't get that, you know, reciprocated back, that's uh, messed up, man. Because it can't be a one sided relationship. I feel like it, it has to balance out. And is comedy still like that? Is there that one sidedness, or is it it's, more it is. of camaraderie? Than it? It, it, it's it's both, but it's more of a one side. Like you got your clicks, you have your connections, you have where your your managers are friends with other comics, so they're going to mysteriously get more shows than you. You know, um, you have your politics, you have your people that they're not really funny, but we're going to book them because we don't want them to 
to put pressure on the next person. We want them to play. We don't want them to be that funny so they get more bookings because they make the headliner or the feature look better. Okay, so you, know, so you have to you have to go through that. They're all right to get the crowd up a little bit, but not uh, a killer in right. any respect. They're just right. kind of like a fluffer. It's all, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's almost like let's throw and and so you have to deal with things like that. That's the downside about it. Me personally, I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not finna downsize my set. If you if you have me open up, I'll be an opener. I don't I could care less. I'm gonna murder that crowd regardless. If you put me as a feature, I'm going to murder them as a feature. If you put me as a headliner, I'm going to for sure murder them as a headliner because it's easier when you're a headliner because they're already drunk, they're already teed up, they're already hooked up, so you ain't really got much to worry about. All you got to do is just do your little jokes and go on. They're going to laugh at pretty much anything. I mean, Joe Rogan comes to mind because he always talks about when he was at the comedy store having to go up after murder after murder, like, day in day out and he is so thankful that he had that experience because it made him a really better comedian it made him like get tighter and he knew like you know if a martin lawrence went up or if an eddie had popped in right that you know that level was so high that his he had to work at that level to keep the crowd going or you lose them completely absolutely i love that me personally i love that channel i love like i love when i love to see comics kill because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a comic after comics on hearts as well. I love to see comics kill. I don't care what show you on. If you on my show and you murder it, I, I'm I'm in the back cheering you on. I'm yelling, work, work, kill him, murder. Because the goal is to make these people laugh. I have a saying where where when asked, people ask me, why do I do comedy? Like, you, you know, why do you do comedy? Because it's extremely difficult to be sad when you're laughing. That's the bottom line. It's almost impossible, I think. You yeah, know? I, that's the other thing that what comedy does is live or at home or a funny movie or something. For that brief period, everything that is an issue in your life kind of just goes away. Right, and keep in mind the talk, the, the clock is steady ticking. You know, there's a time for it, for for you to mourn. There's going to be a time when we're going to have mourning times, right? There's a time to mourn. It, there's a there's a season and a time for everything. There's a time for laughter. There's a time of joy. There's a time of sorrow. There's a time to get. There's a time to be, you know, there's a time to, to, to lose. So if I can help soothe you, whatever season you're in, through laughter, even though it's your time to mourn, but I'm laughing when I should be mourning. You know, I'm, I'm laughing when I should be discouraged or I should be confused. You know? And especially for those people that went to live comedy, you made a conscious decision to be there. Yes. Like... You were you knew what you signed up for. It's yes. People that are going to be performing comedy and it's the work that they've been doing and it may touch a nerve with what happened in your past, but shut the fuck up, please. Right. Sorry, but, but like but shut the no, fuck up. No, that's true. But that's that's Or don't go out. Don't ruin it for di- everybody else. That's the difference between going to a comedy club as opposed to a a let's say a show that you produced with cuz your family's in town and y'all having some, you know, shindig and so you want to do a a personal comedy show right the difference is because you came to the comedy club as opposed to like okay so that's why i hate doing doing um private bar shows okay bar show because half the time you do a bar show right the people at the bar did not know that the comedy show was even going to be there so they come into just unwind and drink now keep in mind they didn't been at work all week or whatever and they come into their favorite bar to unwind and have a couple of drinks the last thing you want to hear when you're trying to unwind, is some 
half funny or unfunny people trying to work out some material that's, you know. So those, I kind of shy away from those. That makes sense. I mean, yeah. if I'm at a bar, I'm not at a comedy club. Exactly. So, I mean, the atmosphere has to be right. Right. In order for comedy to be appreciated. So I learned in my, my days of comedy, I'm going to go where my comedy is appreciated. If I'm going to a place and these people don't want to laugh, I'm not one of those comics that's like, oh, I'm going to stay here and make y'all laugh. You don't want to laugh? Stay angry. You can stay as angry as you want to be. I'm going to go around people that want to laugh, that, that's looking, they're coming in, giggling while they, while they uh, paying their they, they fee to get in. Um, other than that, you can stay angry all day. I, I don't have time for that. So you go up on stage. You bomb, but you right. get a laugh, and it kind of like keeps you going into this, hey, I can do something with this. I understood I could do it, right? So, so do you remember the first joke you told? Like, how did you do the f- – because when you go up the first time, did you have written material? Did I tried you do it to write some material, but I didn't really know. I, I, had a, I had a premise. I had a foundation. So my, my main thing was I wanted to use something like – a lot of people don't know that I'm black, right? Okay. I, 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 I'm rarely mistaken for black first. Unless you knew me when I was younger. But I, if I go to the corner store, I see any person, oh, the brother, what part of India are you from? I'm like, and I'm thinking to myself, like, nigga, I'm not from India. I'm from, <laughs> I'm from the mid Middle East, not the mid, the Midwest, not the Middle East. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So it's like, I get, I, I've been mistaken for Indian. Uh, they told me I, I look like I'm from Punjab. Some Indian dudes told me that. Are you a Punjabi? Yeah, I've, I've been told that. I've been spoken. Uh, a lot of times I go to a, I got a joke about it where I went to a Mexican restaurant. The waitress speak to me in Spanish first, right? I've been been mistaken for uh, some form of Hispanic, whether it be Dominican or Puerto Rican or whatever. Um, so I get that a lot. So a lot of people don't know that that I'm 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 black. So I had to use that that premise. And my my very first joke, I was black. I'm Derek Jack, and I am black. And it was it was it was a good premise. Which it grew from there, but it was garbage at the time. But it was just enough for me to get up there. My main goal, I wasn't even trying to be funny because I knew I had to learn how to, how to do it. My main goal was just to just get up there for the five minutes or the three minutes, whatever time I was given, to just make it through that. So any any new comic, I tell you, don't worry about being funny. That'll come. Just get up there and experience it to see if, you, if this is what you want to do or not. But I experienced the fact of getting up there and knowing, you know, learning how to control the room after I bombed. Mm-hmm. But... I say I can do this. I know what I can do when I can't do. So I, to that effect, I think going up on stage and calming the nerves is probably the first thing you're trying to do is figure out, like, can I actually stay up here? Absolutely. Can I want to remain up here? Is that what where your mind All that. process you have to learn, was? Yeah, because you have to understand you have to learn how to breathe. Right. Right. You have to learn. like I, And I teach any, any new comic that's coming up, I can teach you. The techniques. I can't make you funny, but I can teach you the techniques. I can show you how to write. I can show you how to do stage presence. I can show you how, like, you got to breathe the right way. You got to learn how to how to pause. You what does that how, mean, to breathe the right way? Breathing the right way is learning how, you got to control your breathing. Kind of like a singer would? All that. Yeah, because if, you, if you're, if you're um, okay, let's say you're telling a joke and you can be so, you know, you got your, man, it's blood rushing, man. You got everybody in there. Everybody's eyes is on you like this. Exactly. Every every direction you look, everybody is you're controlling the room and they're waiting on you to respond. So as far as breathing, um, 
knowing how to how to take breaths and pronunciate and knowing how to project all that all that deals with that because if you don't have the right breath you don't know how to like control your breathing you <sighs> i've seen comics get up there and panic you know you're talking about anxiety man you're talking panic attacks i've seen people i've seen one dude he got up there and he's his leg is literally shaking like uh all right so uh i had went uh you know all you gotta learn how to control all that so once you control that and you're in control. Now you can work the crowd. So that all, that's all stage presence. All I'm guessing. the stage the breathing, presence, man. The breathing standing, techniques, the walking, the making sure you put the microphone behind you all and that putting projection. the wire in a way that all you're that. not going to run over it. Don't hold the mic like a douchebag at the wire. All hold that. it a little bit higher up by the, all that. the stem. Knowing how to look to the right, to the left. That's another thing. And bring the whole crowd in. A lot of people don't know how to do that. They, yeah. they'll, they'll just project straight to you. And now the right and the left feel like they're not even part of the conversation because you never looked at them. You never brung them in the conversation. You never looked and said, hey, blah, 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 and brung them. Or, you know, so all that is part of it. So I had to learn that. And the thing about comedy, nobody's really going to sit there and, and, and say, hey, this is what you're supposed to do. Right. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna teach you by trial and error. Hey, you're going to learn now. Like little things like when you're hosting. Put the mic back in the stand. Don't ever hand the mic to the, to the, to the headliner. Most, Why is that? The reason because you have to understand that as a, as a comic. Just for maybe someone listening that might have a hosting gig okay. one day. So you're they can hosting kind of understand now. Keep in mind, etiquette. keep in mind as a, as a comic. Excuse me. We're artists number one. Yes. So imagine handing a a a painter a canvas that's not that's not blank. You didn't reset it. You didn't reset it totally for them. So my goal is what I do is you got to you want to reset the stage for them. I'm not going to hand the mic to them because what if they're opening bid is they use their hands or whatever. So when I'm when I'm putting the mic, I put the mic back in the stand, reset the stage back because the typical comedy stage is you have a mic, you have a a stool. Now, that's like a, a psychic type thing for for comics. You know, this is my this is my stage. When I practice at home, I have a mic and I have a stool. So that's going to be common when you go anywhere. I don't care what stage you go to. It's going to be pretty much you're going to have a mic and a stool. That's that's stand up comedy. So what I like to do is I always like to like to set that canvas as a blank reset canvas for the comic to let him go from there. If he wants the mic out, he'll take it out himself. Right. So I teach little things like that. And the reason being, like I said, nobody's going to really tell you that until you get in to it with a comic or a headliner that's booze you or whatever the case is that says, man, put the stand back, you know, put the mic back in the stand. Right. Because they might want to do, um, when they come to the stage, they might not just get directly on the mic. They might do some dancing. How am I dance when I got the mic in my hand? You don't mess my whole flow up. You know, let me, you know, so I, little things, like I said, those mean something. It might it might seem like nothing to nobody else, but when you're a comic, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Believe me. I mean, I, I, I'm not a comic, but I know exactly what you're talking about because I've seen comedians that get up on the stage, and the first thing that they do is like a, a, a look through of the crowd. Right. Before they even touch the mic. Before, right. Because what I was thinking while you were explaining that is like, well, anything I do probably has steps in my head that I've already kind of pre-planned. One of them is getting on that stage, getting in front of the microphone, taking it out, putting the thing behind me. Exactly. If you screw all that up, that also doesn't allow me to take the breaths that I was probably going to take yep. to calm myself and kind of like start. Everything. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. I, I feel like you're right about that where it should be done in the exact same order for every comic coming every up. Every single comic. You, it, when you do that, certain comics will appreciate that. They'll tell you, hey, very professional. Thank you. Don't, let, little things like that can help you 
get booked later on. You know, so the thing about comedy too, it, it, it's an individual grind. You know, we're all independent contractors. Yeah. Right. So we're all it's and and it's sharks out here, and it ain't much food out here. So you got to be you got to you got to do something different and better than the next shark. You got to get out here and do what you got to do. So it's, it's like I said, it's a grind, man. So little things like that that'll help you get booked. Believe me. Yeah, I mean, you may headline for somebody huge, really likes the way you. Or host for someone right. huge, not headline. I'm sorry. Right. For a, you host for a headliner. They love what you did. Yes, sir. And when they come, and I literally had this happen. If you hear episode nine when it comes out, uh, Liz talks about how she was booking stuff in Austin through her mm-hmm. manager, and she couldn't get her manager to book anything in Dallas, and she called Cheyenne, mm-hmm. who she had worked with in the past, and boom, everything kind of worked out, yep. and she was able to book shows and stuff. So, like, you're right. The, the, the first impression... You never know, but months later could come back to be a huge reward or bite you in the ass. Right, right, yeah. And so, and people don't understand that, man. They don't understand that when you're young. I realized that when I'm young, and and like when I was young, but I've always been a great, like I understand my position too. Like if it ain't my time, it ain't my time. You know, like if it's your time, I have no problem with supporting you in your time. I'm not one of those ones that I'm gonna try to outshine you. I'm saying if it's your time and I'm on your team, all right, let's promote you. And let's do what we got to do to get your shine on. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's how I am. I'm not the one. I'm not like if it, it, it it's just when my time comes, I'm going to shine. I'm going to do what I got to do regardless. So it's like I have no problem with su- supporting the next person. My only problem is when I, when it's not reciprocated back. You know what I mean? If I can't get that back, because I'm, I'm telling you as a friend, there's no way you want to outdo me. If you look out, like I got, I got certain homeboys and I deal with like-minded people. I have certain homeboys right now. If they had it and I needed it, I can call them right now. I'm like, yo, I need $5,000. Well, I need a, a $500, a 1000 whatever the case is. And if they got it, they're like, yo, bro, here. Yeah, the number doesn't matter. It's right. It's the loyalty. Same thing with for you. certain homies. I got them same ones. They, they know they can get it from me. I can get it from them. It's because of loyalty. You know? So that's where I'm at. I'm big on loyalty. Um, I've always been on that, man. And I'll always be on that. But like I said, I, I deal with like-minded people. If you can't deal with that. Then maybe we not we not mentally connected. I, I you're probably gonna find that you know who was it? I think Tyler Perry said this that at some point you need to recognize that some people come into your life for a season, mm-hmm. not the entire show, something to that extent. Right. But yeah, Tyler Perry said that in an acceptance speech, and there's so much truth to that because I think a lot of us feel like when we make a relationship with someone, it's supposed to be there forever. Right. We don't understand that sometimes our trajectories are meant to cross paths, but just like anything else, they part ways at some point. Yep. And it's rare when you find those that are on the same trajectory as you Yep. and want to raise you up because you helped raise them up. And that's a beautiful thing in my opinion. Yep. I I, I just love, I mean, my main thing is I I come from an era. um, You know, we had, I, I grew up with my homeboys, man, you know, and it was about like, we, we there for real like we got each other back for real like i had homeboys literally like yo when i had beef with a person i had homeboys pull up on me with trench coats and like they're ready to go like yo you want me you want to dump them i'm like nah like they was ready to put you know so it's like i got some loyal loyal homeboys that and we 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 grew up together and we still homeboys to this day it's always love anytime we see each other to this day like i said i'm almost 50 years old still to this day yo what's up same, it's all love. So it's like 
that's the era I came up in, man. And these yeah. are your boys from Illinois? Or? From Illinois. Born, yeah. Those, those, these are the ones that when things got, got heavy, they we was there together. You know, when, if, if if we got to fighting, we were swinging together. If we got whatever, we was there together. So during that era, you got to keep in mind where I came from, it was an era where it wasn't a lot of black young ma- black males. We didn't really have no, no vision, man. You know, I wasn't really ex- – I, re- I truly wasn't expecting to live to see 18. Okay. Let alone twenty one. I'm being honest, I'm being dead honest with you. Like I knew, I knew I had one or two choices. I was either going to be dead, or I was going to be in jail. And I thank God that I missed both of those. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I and I credit that a lot of that to my wife because she caught me at a young age. My wife's four years older than me. Been married almost you know almost thirty years, but she kept me. Saying as far as like keeping keep me level headed, she kind of you know? grounded you. Kind of, she grounded me, man. She's she's older, but it was like you know she had she had uh, two kids at the time, so she was on a whole different level. So her mentality was different from mine. So she kind of helped calm me down because I'm more about yo, let's go deal with it. Let's you know forget the consequences. Let's 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 let's, let's handle it. You know, how old were you when you met her? I was about seventeen years old. And 17, she already had 18. the two kids at the time. She had the two kids. She was about twenty-one. Yeah, so okay. about and you've seventeen, been together eighteen. Since then, since then, she um, the thing about that, my best friend passed away when I was seventeen, right? Again, sorry. Which was lost. her youngest brother or younger brother? How about that? So that's we kind of got together through Damn, all dude, that. Your life's been heavy. It's been heavy, Oof. but I, I'm grateful, man. I, I ain't gonna lie. I'm grateful. I'm grateful because I'm still smiling through it all. Like this is our norm. Like for people to get killed, like I'm, I'm in the '90s, man. Dudes getting killed left and right. It's more like, yo, our thing was. So your best friend was murdered. He wasn't murdered, but he he died of an aneurysm. Okay. Right. So he died. Like I said, that was her younger brother. So during the time of the funeral and all that, me and her. Now me and her knew each other when we were younger. All right. She knew my family. My family and her family was close anyway. This is all the same small town. All the same small town. So she's from the same small town as well. I have to ask, is your wife white or black? She's black. Okay. Black. So it's majority black people. Man, look up Kankakee, Illinois. Anybody know? It's, it's spelled K-A-N-K-A-K-E-E. Um, it sound white. It ain't nothing but black people in there. You know what I'm saying? You except got, for your grandma. Except my grandmother. But she gone on. But So her legacy, you know. Um, but yeah, but like I said, but during that time, that's when me and her kind of got together. During the morning process, and we got to, from morning to moaning is what we would call the book if I wrote it. Okay. So, yeah. I think you should one day. That sounds like an awesome book to read. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you're talking, you know, close to 30 plus years later. Um, kids raised. So, it's just me and her. We got our own little townhouse, and we enjoy it. You're here in Dallas? I'm in Arlington, Arlington, Texas. So okay. Y'all want to come visit me, come check me out, man. We just eat good and chill out, man. Enjoy life. That sounds like an awesome life, man. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. That sounds like an awesome life. Um, so, how do you get to Dallas? Is what I'm trying to figure out. All right, so I get I to figured Dallas. out where you've been, right. kind of, but I don't know how you get here. All right, so let me check it out. So we're gonna rewind it back a little bit. I, I'm in um, Kankakee, Illinois. Right? Okay. Me and my wife came to Dallas to visit Bishop T.D. Jakes. He was having a conference. It was called Leading While Bleeding. Okay. And it was a leadership conference. It was talking about leaders that were leading and they were bleeding on the inside or hurting on the inside. At that particular time, I was doing ministry work. 
Okay. And I felt like I was a leader that was bleeding. So I had to make it to this conference. Me and my wife fly out to Texas, blah, 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 blah. We check out the conference, but we like we love the area. So you're, it's in Dallas? It's in, it's in like, uh, yeah, it was in Dallas at the time. So we fly from Kankakee to Dallas. We check out the, the, the conference that Bishop Jakes is having at his church. Love it. Love the area. The area I stayed in was in Irving off 183. Never forget. Um, so we're there, and I'm looking around. I'm like, man, it's a nice area. I'm checking it out, blah, blah, blah. Um, fly, black, fly back. I flew back out here another time because I was doing music at the time. What right. kind of music? Just some Christian hip hop type stuff with my homeboy. Shout out to BBJ. This was back in the uh, early '90s. Blah blah blah. He was doing some things. And what were you doing with the music? I time? was I was writing and doing music, like as far as rapping and different things like that. Okay. So we had music that we that we were doing. We was putting together some stuff for an album that he was doing. Um, and I, and again, it was in this area. I like the area. I said, if I ever get the opportunity, I would love to to reside or settle down in this area. The opportunity rose up where I was able to move from Kankakee, which is my hometown, to come to Texas. Me and my wife, we ended up moving here um, and loved it, man. I've been here 14 years. So, so what, what opportunity kind of like just set to, into motion? I mean, I wasn't doing ministry anymore, so I could leave. So what happened with the ministry work? As far as ministry, I got to the point, I was doing ministry, ministry for 10 years. Right. So you were a minister. I was a minister doing that for 10 years, right? So I'm ministering for 10 years. In Kankakee. In Kankakee. Um, my thing was I had to do an evaluation, right? Okay. I'm evaluating is how effective is this ministry? You know, I can do it for 10 more years, but if it's not affecting anything, I'm really just kind of going into the motions. You know what I mean? Right. My thing was I had kid, little kids at the time, and I didn't have, I didn't have 10 more years to decide on if this is what I want to do for the rest of my life or if you want if people want this for the rest of their life. You know, if, you know, so it's like with me it was more as long as the ministry was being receptive, I'll minister. But when it starts to get to the point that it's being rejected and it's not being tended for, uh it's it's showing that there's there's death there. So I wasn't I, I had to evaluate. Did it for ten years and I felt like with the ten years that it really wasn't going to be effective with to stay there for ten more years. So why keep doing it? Okay. So I had to make a, a executive decision, um, and it was to not do ministry in that that area. My goal was I was reaching people that already believed in God. Got it. And that's not my goal. Why would I want to? I don't want to reach the reach. My, you know. Your congregation wasn't growing, and you weren't getting more followers that were new to the church. Exactly, so. new to the church. They're new. They already they knew to a new church. I'm not. I'm not here to reach the reach. Right. They're not new to God. They're new to a church because exactly. they moved to the area. They've already been. Or years. or got mad at the last pastor and left his church. Got it. So I had to do. You know. And so my thing was, I wanted to to basically just get away and just refocus on life. Get to raising my kids because the thing was the mistake I think I made. I I know that I made was I was trying to pastor my children instead of father them. Okay, which is nah. They need a father. They they didn't need a pastor. You know what I mean? And I think you know. So um, once I dealt with it, I was able to refocus more on just being a father, raising my 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 younger kids. My older two uh, step kids had had they was gone and grown, um, but my younger two. 
I wanted to focus on that. So I was able to get that get that done. So, so you got I, what boys, girls? I got I got a girl and a boy. Girl's yeah. the eldest. My girl is thirty years old, and my boy is twenty nine. Okay. Yeah. So they um. Did any of them pursue like an artistic career in any way? My son is a my son is a is a a rapper. Okay. Very very good. I'm not just saying it because it's my son. He he doesn't have the drive that I think that it takes to make it. He's not the grinder like that, but he has very good music. Okay. Very good. He goes by the name of Mile High or or Hit God. Look him up. My daughter is a a dancer. She's a she's she's good at dancing. And again, I'm not just saying it because she's my daughter. She can dance her butt off, but she's also um she works in the like the food industry. So she's like a baker and a chef. Oh, cool. So, but I mean, she's excellent. Like she does stuff where right now she's in Arizona, uh, Phoenix, and she's working at a restaurant and they featured her. She made up some some specific uh, dessert and they featured that dessert on their menu. So she makes desserts for this uh, specific restaurant. Uh, I think it's three of them and she provides different uh, like authentic desserts for them and Helps to build their brand and everything, so she's she's doing all right. But my son, yeah, I mean that's a creative thing in and of itself. It really is because desserts that are unique to you know your style and I mean uh, it's, it's dope. With, yeah, she she's dope with what she's doing. So that's yeah. cool. Is your son in Dallas or is he he's, out of state? Yeah, too? he's in he's in Arizona. Uh, no, I'm sorry, he's in Arlington. Okay, or actually Fort Worth. So yeah, and I got I got my my step kids and they just doing what they do. You know, my my stepdaughter she sings very nice. Um, has a very very good voice. Um, my, my stepson, and I don't like to call him stepson cause I've raised them, but he, he can, he can draw. So, I mean, little things like that, if they really pursued it, they can, they could do something, but, but you know, there, there's, there's a, a, a definite connection between art kind of like translating absolutely. through genetics. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Just, and just being around it, you know, um, raising them around that because they see me, you know, being on stage and, and writing music and doing music or different things like that. They've seen me do comedy. They see me. Uh, you know, even you know, preaching or public speaking, if you will. So they've seen the art side of of that. Okay. So I'm I'm sure that, and my son plays the drums and little things. So they've been influenced. They've been influenced. And so when you guys moved here, you moved straight to Arlington. I moved straight to Arlington. Um, I had a friend I had met online. This is back in the MySpace days. They had liked my music and they was telling me I want to come this way. Um, like I said, but they told me. Go to any. They said any school in Arlington is better than any school in Fort Worth. They said the worst place in Arlington is better than any place in Fort Worth. So they told me I wanted to stay in Arlington. So I found an apartment in Arlington, got me a job, and started working. So school for like raising your kids and stuff was yep. better to be in Arlington School District. Yes, they told me. So I I stayed in Arlington. And I've been here ever since. Did your kids end up going to college? They didn't. Um, just regular. No, you know, my kid, college was never a thing. They never thought about, I barely got the mugs out of high school. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to be thankful for that. But college just never, I don't think that was really ever a, a goal of theirs. Okay. And I respect that. Like, I don't, I didn't go to college, so I can't, like, like project that up on them. You know what I'm saying? If you go to college, that's cool. But if not, hey, get you a trade. Learn how to provide for yourself. Get out my house. That was my main goal. You know what I'm saying? Provide for yourself. Do what you got to do. Um, learn how to operate in society, I think you'll be all right. I don't think life is as hard as people try to project it. That's just me. And maybe I maybe I maybe I got a wrong perception, but I see a lot of people where they try to they have to have these certain goals in order to feel like they accept it. I've been there and realized that 
if people don't like you, they're not going to like you, whether you have a mansion or a studio apartment. I think the better thought to have is what should I do to make sure I like myself? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and yeah, I, I think it takes a long time to get to that uh, rest yeah. real, realization. And a lot of people maybe never get there. That's why yeah. they're stuck in miserable jobs and miserable yeah. marriages or miserable lives. That yeah. It's almost always self-imposed. Yeah. You knew who you met. Yep. And you knew who you were going to end up marrying. I, like, I've never believed that bullshit of like, oh, they changed once they get married. No, dude, they were always the same person. Yep. You just didn't want to see it. The only thing was in the beginning stages, people are going to show, they're going to they're going to show the, the hidden them. And they're going to be authentic in the beginning. I tell people, give give people, give a person about six to, to, to six months to a year and the real them will come out. Because everybody's on their best behavior when they first meet each other. True. You know? Like right now, you you I'm pretty sure... At some point, you've been on at a podcast where you had to pass gas. You ain't gonna do that in front of people like that. You might do it when they leave. You might let it go, and, and it's not like a foghorn when when you leave. But until then, we're on our best behavior. You know what I mean? But the more comfortable you get, be like, "Hey, Derek, excuse." It's not like a, you know what I'm saying. But other than that, nah, I mean, everybody's gonna front and they're gonna be on their best behavior. I mean, yeah, I, I know exactly what you're saying, but like. Even the fart thing, right? Like, <laughs> it's something you do with your boys who are your exactly. friends because they're your friends and they understand you. His nasty shit, whatever. As opposed to a chick you just met, right? Or a person that you've invited onto your podcast for the first time. There like, you go. There's rules of etiquette. You know, you have to be certainly presentable exactly. and make it comfortable for the person there. Otherwise, exactly. they're gonna be like, "This guy just keeps farting." Like, exactly. Well, why am I here? Right. So you already know it, man. So I mean, that's just I. I don't think life is as difficult as people try to make it. Um, my main thing is this. It doesn't matter what you accomplish on earth, how much money you got, how much money you don't have. When it's all said and done, when you die, you can't take none of it with you and it don't mean nothing in the afterlife at all. So it's not like if I want to get to heaven, I got to have $100,000. You know what I mean? It, it doesn't matter. So all I do is I look at it like this. The money I got or whatever I I use that like an extra man on, 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 on a video game. I got extra lives. I can take chances um, that other people may not be able to chance because I got a little more money or whatever the case is. So that's me, man. Yeah, it gives you the opportunity to try things out. Yep. Because you've kind of like put in the time and yep. put aside a nest egg and all that good stuff. That's it, man. Pay my little bills, stack me a little loot. Other than that, I'm not trying to be none of that. I got life insurance. If something happened to me, uh, God forbid right now my wife is good, my kids good. Um I'm not I'm not I, I don't live my life stressed out like that. Even when it comes to comedy. I've seen like I told you when I've seen I've seen people shake their leg, they're on stage right. telling jokes and I'm like, bro, the only pressure I put on myself is make the people laugh. I don't care if it's cameras there, I don't care if it's a thousand people or five people. Just make the people laugh. I can do that. I can make you laugh. That's all I concentrate on. How does that work for you? How, what's your writing process? How do you find the funny? And is it situational? Is it storytelling? Is it what kind of like gets you from thought, idea, stage? A little bit of both. All right. So my thing is this. This is my th one of my theories. Why would I want to create humor, right? Why would I want to create humor when there's funny things happening around me every day? Naturally, funny stuff happens every day, right? Um. Almost every day, if you really pay attention, something funny is going to happen, right? You might see something where uh, I remember one time I seen a guy. He was driving a Pepsi truck, and he was taking the, the, the Pepsi. He had it on the dolly, he had it, and he was taking it to the gas station. 
and it was wintertime, and he slipped on some ice, and Pepsi went everywhere. Oh. Funny stuff's everywhere. So what I do is I take so, funny things that are already funny, mm -hmm. and I give them an exaggerated twist. So you observe observational stuff. Observational comes up a lot. funny, but then also I got I got stuff that really happened to me. Right, like your and grandmother bit it, that you opened with, and yep. being black and being confused for other races. All that. So that really happened. Give it an exaggerated twist. Right. right. Um, of course, no, she really didn't say. Uh, you know, like when I, when I say I got like one of my bits is, uh, I went to a Mexican restaurant and the waitress spoke to me in Spanish first. I looked at her and was like, Dud, you know, I got an attitude and looked at her like, do I look like I speak, speak Spanish? And she responded, Dud, nigga, I thought you was Dominican. <laughs> that didn't really happen. But it's funnier. But it's funnier. That's the exaggerated twist. What really did happen was she came to me and was like, hola, como estas? And I'm like, I don't speak Spanish at all. Right. And then she started speaking English. When I asked her again, I said, yo, do we? Do I look like, you know, me and my brother was, was eating at a Mexican restaurant she thought we was Puerto Rican or whatever. It was funny when I twisted it with Dominican, made it funny. So that's where you know it's it's based off of real real life funny stuff. So like ninety percent of it happens. The ten percent yeah. is what you kind of make funny. Hype it up, yeah. Hype it up a little bit, make it funnier. Because if it was funny on its own, then there's no reason for a comedian. There you go. You got to draw it out and kind of. But you still have to be observational because you have people that try to act so mature. Like comedians on stage, you mean? Or just in general, in just general? life in general. Like, I, I don't think that's funny. That's, you shouldn't make fun of a dog that only has three legs because I'm a dog lover. You know what's funny? Uh, you, you say that, and I was um, just like, you know, browsing the internet as you do. Mm -hmm. And I came up uh, on a Jordan Peterson, like, reel or something. And he was mm -hmm. like, a barometer of a person you cannot trust is a person that doesn't have humor. If they sit around really? and go like, I don't see, I don't find that funny. That's not funny. Where's the funny in that? Like that's an untrustworthy person. Absolutely, I believe it. I think there's a lot of truth to that. You gotta have you gotta have humor, man. Like that, like, dude, you gotta have humor. You can't sit around your life sitting around so dull and stale, where things are just so serious all the time. Laugh sometimes. Yeah, I'm like everybody has shitty situations throughout their life on a daily basis that happens. Every day. Like, why are you adding to it? How do you, how are you gonna deal with it? And then I'm at the age now where I don't deal with unnecessary BS. You know? Oh, you got there. I, I'm, Congratulations. I'm there. I am there, bro. Um, unnecessary BS is really, that just disgusts me. Like, uh, the way I equate that, if, I, if I'm if i driving in my car, you know, I get a flat because I ran through the, whatever, the construction zone. Okay, that's that's going to happen. You know, they, they're working on the, I understand it. But if I got to change my tire because this crazy person cut my tire, that's unnecessary, so I need to cut that off. I'm at the age now where I don't deal with unnecessary stuff. Um, I want to laugh. I want to be happy. I find humor in almost everything, right? So I would rather laugh than, than, than cry. So if I can spend most of my days ha ha instead of tee-heeing, I'm going to do that. The world would be a better place. It, it will be a better place, and it's got to be a, a better place. So that's why live comedy not just watching specials. I mean, we good with that. Don't get me wrong, but come out and support live comedy, man. You'll never, you'll never be the same from it. I promise you. I think the special is so important, especially nowadays, because I see so many of the comedians not even going to Netflix route and stuff. They've got enough of a following and they've got enough friends in the comedy space that they post it on YouTube. Yeah, and they'll get millions of views on it. And when you hear why they do it that way, they're like. I'm not worried about the money I'm going to make on YouTube or a Netflix deal. 
I'm going to make bank selling out yeah. arenas and yep. theaters and just touring because they're going to see this, they're going to love it, and they're going to want to come for that. Absolutely. And if you can understand, if you understand the branding process, just make the people laugh. People, when, once they laugh, they're going to come regardless. Oh, yeah. Like, there's certain people that are kings of taking the internet and podcasting and Instagram yes. and all these little things and turning them into the internet and podcasting and yes, Instagram and yes. all these little things and turning them into right. a way to Late promote themselves. themselves. Yes, sir. Right. Because so this is becoming the outlet for becoming right. big, doing these things. And I think the best podcast that most people end up watching fall into like two or three categories it's mm-hmm. science history stuff and then it's comedy podcast they're right. always leading the charts yeah my whole life has been the way i viewed a certain situation um the way i learned about diligence i'll never forget i was playing little league baseball right okay my family i, I had a, a home game at the at the park my family had came down and other family was in town and i went to my game, and they were late to my game. To keep in mind, they were late. The first, um, my first at bat, I hit a home run. Never forget to hit a home run. And when I got to the home plate, I'm celebrating. And I look in the audience, and none of my family is there because they're late. How old are you? 11. Okay. 12, right? Just, just a kid. Just a kid. Hit a home run. This is a big thing, bro. We're in Little League. I pulled a home run. This like the all-star. Man, you like the Mark McGuire of Little League. You pulled a home run. Everybody's going to know about it in the whole league. Yo, Derek pulled a home run. I looked over there. I get to the home plate. My my, uh, you know, my teammates are celebrating with me. I looked in, in the audience, and none of my family was there because they were late. They were slow for They were slopping, you know, just slowly lagging around and blah, 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 blah. Now, the next hit back, I go. I hit a, I hit the ball, but I fly out. I look over there. They over there cheering. Like, y'all missed the whole point, bro. Like, you, your slowfulness has allowed you to miss the real reason why I was here. So they heard about my, my, my home run as opposed to seeing it. So from that point on, I've always been big on being diligent, like trying to make sure I'm somewhere at the right time, being in position or moving when I'm supposed to move so I don't miss out on certain things. So that's what I learned at a, at a very early age. Is it really that simple? Do we have to go to trauma to rewire ourselves to be the opposite? I, I don't know. I, I don't it, think it does has it to have be. have to be that fucked up, dude? I don't think it has to be, but I think if you understand that know-how, like that it doesn't matter how traumatic, traumatic a thing can be, if you understand your perception, if you understand, if you look at it from a different perspective. That, I mean, that's heartbreaking for an 11 Yeah, but you could, dude. but you could find, I mean, but. Keep in mind, my mama dead. What else you gonna do? She's already, she already passed out. <laughs> yeah, point. she dead. My mama dead, bro. So it's like I'm numb to situations. So it's like I'm gonna gain as much as I can gain in life. What I, I mean, you when you lose a mother, man, your mother, nobody gonna love you like a mama. No. They're not gonna be as patient. They're not gonna be as caring. They're not gonna be as. So if you have a mother, love your mother. I don't care, man. Beef with your mama. Squash that beef, love your mother. Cause I guarantee you, once your mama gone, she's the one that, you know, that gave birth. One thing I had to learn and, and for men too, just to veer off a little bit, I used to argue about when me and my wife would talk about a father loving his children as much as the mother. And I was like, You can't say that like a father love his kids. I love my kids just as much as you love. 
But I had to stop and realize there's no way possible in the world that a father can love a child as much as a mother when she grew that child inside her body and incubated that child and nurtured that child and fed that child and that child changed. There's no way. There's an attachment that a mother has with their child that a father can't compare to. We can love our kids, but we can't love them as much as mama. So I don't learned that. would I ever that. want to. You, right. I, I think, um, so in my culture, mothers are held to the same regard as saints. They okay. are considered adjacent to God. Right. Because only a mother can give birth to right. any type of person you can think of. Absolutely. So for, for us in our culture, it's they are held to the highest regard mm -hmm. for us. And not that my mom or my grandma didn't show me love, but it wasn't until I got married and had children of my own mm -hmm. that I understood a mother's love. Absolutely. That I understood that the because simple example, inoculation shots, you know, vaccines. Mm -hmm. I'm the one that takes my kids to the doctor to get their vaccine because my mm -hmm. wife just can't bear to see their yeah. children. Yeah. I don't understand that level of right. emotion or love. For me, it's always been tough it out. You need to right. be strong for the right. kids because they're going to inevitably cry when they get this vaccine at two years old, you know, mm -hmm. like whatever. MMR and all the regular ones that your pediatrician asks you to get for your child. That's the kind of thing that like, I don't want that level of love, if that makes any sense. Right. I'd rather have this because it allows me to shut down emotion and mm -hmm. turn on toughness. Right. I don't want to be ever in that situation where neither of us can go into the room where this right. kid needs to get a... Because shit's bound to happen. Right. One of us has to be a, an emotional loving mess. The other Absolutely. one has to kind of stand there and go like, let's figure this out. Right. And I, I think that's the balance that we need. That, 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 that's what brings the balance. That, that's why we need a father and a mother in the homes to yes. bring that balance. Because if both of y'all, like you said, if nobody's in there, now the child's in there crying and scared by, by their self, as opposed to, like you said, with the balance of it. And what I will say to that, what you just said is, my agreement is not that it needs to be a man and a woman. It needs to be a masculine and a feminine influence. Absolutely. Because... It's not always a mom and a dad right. that raises a family. It's right. grandparents and right. a million different variations of what a family unit is. Right. But masculine traits and feminine traits should exist together within the same household for a child to pick which side that they identify with more by seeing these examples. Right. If they are absent from the home, you need to pick up masculinity from the street or from the TV or YouTube and whatever, right. the, you know. That's not real masculinity. That's what's being fed to you. Exactly. Exactly. Real masculinity is seeing the shortcomings of your father or the masculine person in your home and fixing it for you and Absolutely. then the future. Same goes for feminine traits. Right. You see what the feminine was in the home and you're like, I can improve upon this for my offspring one day. Absolutely. But if you don't have that and just other people are telling you what that is, it, you need life experience is all I'm saying. And I unfortunately, agree. there's a million reasons why billions of kids grow up without one or other in the home mm -hmm. and there's no real solution to this it's sad it's, it's unfortunate sad. there's no it solution is. to this but 
Man, it goes back to the same thing. If it wasn't for all these unfortunate situations, life would be so bland. It we would. wouldn't have art. We wouldn't would have music. We wouldn't have comedians. We wouldn't have the theater and the opera. We wouldn't have science and technology because a lot of it comes out of really shitty situations that people yes. want to improve upon, be it in an artistic way or a scientific way. Almost always it's trying to improve upon something that sucks. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it has to happen at a personal level. Yeah. I can't identify with your pain of losing a mother and then losing your other mother, which was your grandmother. Right. I just can't identify with that. Right. But I can identify with having a lack of something that would make you a, a, a whole person emotionally. Right. That's right. fine. All of us can think of what fucked us up. Exactly. And exactly. if you can't think of anything that fucked you up, either one of two things happened. Really, you are the rare occasion that it doesn't happen. Or it was so fucked up that you blocked it out so Absolutely. far. Absolutely. I agree. And I, I don't think any human goes through life without their own version of what trauma is. No, I, and I, I, I think, again, I, we need that. That keeps you grounded. That keeps you grounded. You know, um, I've never been one of the ones to, you know, get ahead and then look down on the next person. No, because I understand, hey, we all, we all got some messed up situations. At some point you were there. Yep. You, you were down looking up. And now you're up looking down and you're like, hey, man, if I can raise this guy up Absolutely. and start a trend, then possibly when I had to do it all by myself, 15, 20 years from now, the kids coming up in comedy don't have to do it by themselves. Absolutely. And, that, and that's it. That's it. If I went through it, don't make my, my, my labor in vain. That's the biggest thing. You know, don't make what I went through. Like I said, if I, I cry so you, you can laugh now, we're going to laugh about what I cried about. Yeah. And I, I think it, it, you have to go through that before you can make others laugh it gives it gives you the character now people try it they try to avoid that um excuse me they try to avoid those steps but nah bro go through the steps in comedy you have to touch each step you can try to skip steps all you want it'll come back to haunt you touch each step i go through each step you got to go i went through the level of bombing i went through the level of doing a joke that wasn't funny or um, it wasn't appropriate. You learn all that once you once you get those skills together. You 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 tone all that down and you balance it out, and you get your set together and you're good. What's more important for you in the steps, bombing or killing? As a new comedian starting out, bombing, because bombing would teach you how to kill. Get to the uncomfortable first. It get to the uncomfortable first. Let me let me let me learn how to get out of this situation, because. If you're in a situation, um, you know, it's, it's a time when you're thinking the joke is funny and it might not be funny. Or it might be, this is one of your main jokes, but the season for it is not now. There was a time when they did a bomb, a bombing took place. Um, I got a joke about bombs. You know, I got a joke. One, one of my first jokes I opened up, I say I am black. I know I'm standing here looking like my name should be Shalimar Akbar. <laughs> right? There and then go. people start laughing and I'd be like, and look like I should be up here standing, uh, standing, uh, talking like I should be speaking like a... Okay, I tell you a joke. You're not very funny in my country. And I do a bomb joke. Well, that's funny when ain't nobody getting bombed. But if they just bomb somebody, that joke is inappropriate for that season. Right. So you have to learn how to, you know, decipher between what's good and what's not. Um, Two weeks after 9-11, not so much. Yeah, that ain't really. 20 you know, years after 9-11. 20 years, Probably. Yeah, we can work it out. We can work because we, we've gotten to a better place where we fully understand that not everyone that looks like a certain category exactly. is going to be killing you exactly. 99 point probably nine percent of them are 
just as like you, raising exactly. a family, trying to get through regular shit like the toilet being backed up, and right. the, you know, wife complaining about something or husband complaining about something, kids needing cleats for whatever right. sport. It's all the same shit for everybody, I yes. think. I think, at least. I, I mean, we all have our version of it. But it it's might, great that we're it, here now where you yeah. can make fun of it. Like, you can pretend that, yeah, my name should be Allah Akbar or whatever right. it is. Because I, I get it, and like I said, and I didn't get that from just making it up. I got that from when I go down to the corner store and all the people that's from Iran or in India or whoever owns that store or whatever talk to me. Like, you know, one one dude came in the 7-Eleven and t- started talking to me. I was just... uh I don't know what I was doing, but he started talking to me like I was the owner. You know, I'm sitting there thinking like, nah, That's bro. I, w- stuff, I wish I did own it. You know what I'm saying? But he, are they, so are you going to get it? I mean, I ain't getting nothing. I'm just a customer passing through. So it's like we operate off of that, man. The funny part, but I, I mean, I get laughs off of it. So I'm cool with whoever. Like I said, I'm. I love my my foreign brothers and sisters, my brownies. I love them. They love me. So um, I do shows wherever, man. Y'all want to laugh? Let's kick it. Bomb first. Bomb first. Learn. Then you'll learn how to kill. You get you get humbled enough, and and you remember that time, and then you get up there, and then you learn how to kill. How much word economy comes into being a good stand up for you? Um, I think you just being relatable, man. You got to be relatable. Relate to whoever. You okay. know, I'm I'm from the hood. It doesn't mean I always got to be like, yo, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying, son? Like you, come on, bro. Just I mean, I'm I'm universal. I can talk hood. But I can I can be relatable to whoever, and I think that that's the key. That once people see that you're relatable, I just want to show my humanity. Like my 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 shirt says, "Humanity is my race." I I'm saw a that. human. It's really cool. I'm a human, so that's my race, man. What is your hum- What is your race? Hum- humanity. I'm human. I don't I, black white. I don't care about all that, man. Let's just let's laugh. That's our biggest problem. Is like we don't understand that baseline. We're all human beings. We're all human. And then all of this other shit we added. Fictionally, yep. we added all of this stuff. It doesn't yep. actually exist in the natural order of things. Right. We said you're black, I'm Armenian, he's Indian, he's right. white. None of that actually means anything. Seriously, it just doesn't mean anything. It really doesn't. And then if you look at almost all the religions in the world, the predominant ones, they all kind of like tie into a singular celestial being that bestowed upon us all of what we have today. Right. Some are crueler, some are nicer, but at the end of the day, kind of like the story is very similar Pretty Just much. Names and dates change a little bit. Yep. We're all the same, dude. That's like, what it boils why, down to. Why do we not want to recognize this at this point? That's what I'm trying to do. In my, I, and like I said, I can't make other people see that, but that's what I can I can project in my world. But comedy is supposed to be that equalizer. Yeah. It's supposed to make fun of all of the things that we find to be uh, forbidden, I guess, or right. shouldn't be spoken about. Right. That's where all the funny happens. Is like, right. No, no, you got to make light of all the stupidity that is us. You have to. You have to. It's it, it's not that it's not that serious, man. It's really not that serious. Why would I hate you? You didn't do anything personally to me. Like you didn't do anything to me. Per- so why would I just automatically hate you because you're different? Now, if it was you personally, I'm not gonna say, oh, I hate all arm. No, I hate this mother. An Armenian right here. This mother. This somebody cut that right. shit. Off. It ain't not. Oh, y'all cool over here. Are, are, y'all the rest of y'all? But this, no, this one I can't. I'm gonna kill him. You know what I mean? So it's like, nah, bro. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach you. I'm gonna treat you how you respond individually, not as as a whole race. You're not representing all the Armenians in the world now. If I meet, we don't even want to try to. We're so, right. We're so different. Just yeah. like 
all can you represent all black people in the world? Not at all. Nowhere near. Who would want to? Exactly. So it's like, hey, I'm just I'm just here to show you that I'm just I'm a person. See me as a person first and then we'll we'll worry about the other stuff later. So that's the other thing, is like if we started to split everybody up and started to recognize that as individuals, we'd be like, Oh, that guy's an asshole, but like yes, there's sir. a bunch of them that are really cool, a right. bunch of them that think the way I think, a bunch of them that like what I like. We could probably have the same cookout together. Absolutely. And it'd be awesome. Yeah. Like, wh- why why we do this to us? That's it, man. So that's what, and like I said, that's what I love about comedy because I've been before, I've been before um, all black crowd, all white crowd, all Indian crowd, all um, just a diverse crowd, but being able to relate and we all laugh, that's what I live for. Dude, in LA, I would love going to, uh, there was a, a show called Chocolate Sunday. Yep, I know about. I heard about it. Mainly, if not all, comedians of color. Yep. The crowd is predominantly eighty percent black, 90 percent black, but nobody makes you feel uncomfortable at all. Right. And it's just fun to be in that type of a crowd. I get what you're saying, where like diverse, you know, everybody yeah. under the sun. But you see a very interesting and very um, narrow view of comedy when yes. it's directed towards a crowd that is predominantly of one race yep it's it's even funnier because a lot of stuff you may not understand culturally but if everybody's dying laughing you're like yes there's a reason i should be laughing too and Absolutely. it makes you laugh because you're like oh okay i may have not grown up in the hood i may not have gone you know having to do certain <laughs> things with my hair because my hair just doesn't right. do that right but I understand the funny because I can think of like my situation where my right. curly fucked up hair just ruined my life for a long right. time or whatever it was. Absolutely, man. That's it. And, and you know, most black people, honestly, I ain't going to say all of us, but most black people are cool, especially when it comes to other races. Like we're very, we're very like welcoming. Like, it, man, I guarantee you, like for instance, who was, okay, po- uh, it was either Post Malone or somebody, uh, Jack. Whatever Jack Harlow, the rapper, whatever, he went to he got an award at at the BET show or whatever. Yeah, he, uh, all Harlow black, did right. So all black show, um, and he did his song, and it was a hot song, and black people were very supportive of his song. We didn't look and say, "Oh, that white boy." We said, "No, it's a hot song," and he had the BET awards, and black people are supporting him. And I thought about that. I said, "Look at this shows how supportive black people would be." When it comes to other races, how many, it ain't too many people that will embrace if you went to an all white show and it was a black performer other than Darius Rucker, um, that would be accepted by an all white person or all whatever. So people don't understand a lot of black people are very, we're very accepting to people. We cool with you until you cross us. That's what it really boils down to. So, and, and really, most black people not even mean to other people. We mostly mean to other black people. Right. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. I man. get it. Um, I don't know. I never thought about it that way. Yeah. I, I've never, because I've been in crowds that have been, you know, predominantly white crowds yeah. and a diverse group of people go up, but I never felt like if the funny, if the person was funny genuinely, Everybody still laughed. They didn't, That's it. They, they weren't apprehensive of having a different race of comedian on the stage. That's what ever. I love about comedy because comedy comedy surpasses all that. Yeah, you can't you can't sit there and be like, oh, I'm not gonna laugh because he's a, he's a colored. I'm laughing like people are gonna laugh regardless. Black, white, young. That's what I 
funny is funny. That's what I love about Yo, it. Yo, man, if you still have that thought in your head in 2023, like, I'm not going to laugh because he's what you just said. Please don't leave the house. For real, man. Please. For real. Because you have been stuck in an, uh, an era that does not actually exist, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, I asked this question the other day. I was like, is racism real or is the thought of racism real? Yeah. Yeah. Are we truly a racist society or is it just a thought that we allow to linger on because people just keep yelling about it? Like, if yeah. we actually shut up and stop talking about it, do I, I feel like it would just go away. Right. Yeah. Am I wrong about this to feel like, I, like I in think, two generations, nobody would know what racism actually was if we stopped talking about it? I think that everything is being, I think racism is being milked down right now as we speak. And the reason being because there's a new generation that's, that's coming up that's going to run the world. This new generation, um, which made me proud when all the Black Lives Matter and the protest was going on, when you had white kids, black kids, Mexican, whoever, everybody was marching together. That little things acts like that, that's what's going to stop it because now you got Felipe and Shanquisa done made a, a little black, black, blacksican, you know what I'm saying? You yes. got Amber and Tyrone done got together. Now they got a little, little mixed kid. So it's hard to preserve these so-called races when you got all these mixtures. Like I said, shout out to all the, all the Klansmen they got mixed grandkids. You know what I'm saying? So um, that's what's going to do it because now what you're going to do, you're going to not love your, your grandbaby? When, no. When, when, you're, when your mixed grandbaby is sitting in your lap talking, you know, sitting in your lap, talking about, Papa, let's go outside and play. You ain't going to you ain't gonna be able to defeat that. So little things like that is what's going to melt racism. Wait, yeah, yeah, you can be a nigger all the way up to my grand, grandchild. That's what my grandma was about. Not that she was racist, but... Hey, hey, nigger, come here. You, you know what I'm saying? But, hey, but it wasn't going no further than a house like that. That's what I'm saying. You know what I mean? So it's like it's, it, 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 it's going gonna, it's gonna to come to fruition at one point. You right. know? Like I said, what you going to do when, when Shelly brings home a black guy, Paul, you know, and I don't want any colored fellas in my house or any of those Armenian fellas, you know, they – they want to sit there and eat them gyros and gyros and all that other stuff. Don't bring one of them. What you going to do when they come home? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Believe me, because everything that you say you've not, your kids are not going to be, believe me, they're, they're, your kids don't care nothing about your thought system or what they're going to do what they want to do when it's all said and done. Look, I, I grew up in a time where they, our, our parents still wanted us to marry a nice Armenian girl. Right. Continue the, you know, keep the race together kind of stuff. Right. I don't even, that thought literally has not crossed my mind about who my children will end up marrying. Exactly. I just want them to be happy, dude. I don't care. That's it. That's it, bro. I'm like, and if they marry somebody of a different culture, well, we may get some good food. Uh, man, I All thought, I'm going to say is Christmas might be more interesting because we get some good food. Man, you better believe it. When my son was younger, he used to love Mexican women. There you go. Like Mexican girls. I'm like, hey, yeah, go ahead and connect. Man, I love Mexican food. I'm uh, You call me racist or whatever. Hey, hook it up. Hook up with Esmeralda. And let's go over their house for Christmas and eat. Yes, I love it. So I love. I j I think love is love, man. I love it. Yeah, and I'm, I I can't wait to see what that brings in the Absolutely. future because that's going to be really fun and interesting. But I think that's a better way of looking at it. Yes, especially if you're here. Like I'm not back in the old country. Right. In the old country, your options are the same people of the same race. Right. Cool. But you came here for a reason, right? Yep. You wanted better. Well, part of better is change and assimilate and adapt and certain things are not going to go as you thought absolutely 
Even though I ended up marrying an Armenian girl, but there you, was, go. you know, there you go. <laughs> yeah, but I was just saying, Mama, I believe all that, but I'm gonna still do what you told me to do. So just regard, disregard <laughs> all that. It's like the I, liberal thought. Yeah, I, I did the good son thing, and my wife did the good daughter thing, obviously. But like right. when it came to our kids, we were like, yeah, it doesn't matter as long as they're right. happy. Right. That's it. Man. Why? Why don't we get them to the happy place? You know, yep. like because they're born here. This is their country. They can pick whatever they want. There you go. See, and 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 are you you from from over there? I was born over there, so was my wife. Yeah. See, there you go. So yeah. So I mean, when you understand that that mindset, that even though I went through this, they don't have to go through it. They have the you know I I made this decision so that they can have a a more wider vast of of choices. You, it's perception, man. And we keep them part of the community. They're at the church here, and they do Sunday school to learn the language, and they're exposed to kids of the same race, but that's not the only exposure. Right. They get everything else in between. Know what your culture is, know where you come from, but also understand what your present and your future holds. Absolutely. There's a reason you're here. Yep, absolutely. So that's kind of the way we looked at it when we were raising, when we are raising our kids. Mm -hmm. But... um, yeah, dude, it's so funny, right? Some of the stuff that our family members kind of like put on us that mm-hmm. we don't even care about when we get older. Yeah. Certain I mean, traditions stay, certain things that you love and are interesting and you want to keep going, but other things you're just like, eh, it doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. I think you got to weed it out. You have to weed it out, man. If you don't weed it out, um, that's, what's, that, that's what either makes or breaks the culture for the, for the next generation. Yeah, I mean, just just going back to just the whole, like we said about comedy perception, man. Just yeah. the, way, the way you view things in life. My my view in life, um, like I said, the first part of my life, I always looked at the glass as, as half empty. Um, looking at meaning like it's it's leaving, water's leaving, it's depleting, it's going down, um, and then not that long after that, I started looking at a at a at a level. Um, not too too long ago, I started looking at the at the glasses being half full. I mean, there's opportunity um, for 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 more success. And like I said, a lot of that has to do with just the way the way you view a situation. And when you started changing your perception, did it open up more doors? It kind of like it. I think it it it. I'm gonna, not going to say it opened up more doors. I think it was it enabled me to see the doors that were open. You know what I mean? Um, a lot of times, just the wrong perception can cloud your, your thought pattern and your vision because right. you're always looking at like somebody's after you and you'll miss opportunities because you think that somebody's trying to, trying to get you. Like, ah, that just sounds too good to be true. Or, you know, if you're, if you're always from a sketchy perspective, you know what I mean? So I had to change, I, just, I had to change the way I view things. Where am I viewing it from? Am I viewing it from a, a attitude perspective? Am, am I viewing it from a offended perspective or am I viewing it from, from a receptive percep- uh, perception? So I learned to to deal with life now. You listen to criticism. You know, somebody you can tell me something that's that's uh hey, if you do this in your comedy, this could be I think this would be better, as opposed to me looking at like, oh, he's just trying to, you know, he hating on me because he probably he's trying to give you, you know, he's trying to give you advice on, on how to be better. You know? So So it's being more receptive and open to a, a different I a look outlook on it. Please. Outlook on yeah, just knowing that your 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 view is not the only view. How did you yeah. get to that? What changed? What what made you kind of change your perception of things? I think hard times, man. Just just basically um, realizing that no matter what I do, what I don't do, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, now don't, don't get me wrong. Certain things I can induce. But naturally, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. So 
instead of me trying to prevent the inevitable, let me just enjoy while I have the opportunity. You know, I know that death is, is, is going to be certain. You know, we all, we not, we're not going to make it out of it alive. I don't care how much we try to do it. We all going to die one day. So my thing is, instead of me waiting till that happens, let me love who I can love and spend time and cherish them while I have the opportunity. That's what I've learned in life. So you just want to enjoy the moment while you can. Enjoy the moment because you, the next moment, you, you know, like I said, it's about seasons. You're in a joyous season. I want to be as happy as I can in my, my time of joy. Um, you know, because, like I said, there's a time that, that mourning will come. There's a time when pain will come. Um, that's going to happen. So I just want to be prepared for that as much as I possibly can. So why not love while I have the opportunity? Did that perspective change happen during comedy or prior to it? Prior to that. Prior to actually getting yeah. on stage. You no, know, I mean, changed. you know, watching people die. I watched, you know, my mother die. My best friend die. Um, and other, you know, and that's just certain. You know, I mean, certain things that people have already died in my life or just left. So I know I know that that's, that's an option. So um, I don't want to treat it like that's not going to happen. I want to, you know, if, if we're friends, we're going to be friends to the end. If you're my homie, I'm going to love you. If we're friends, we're going to be friends. I'm, I'm going to be the friendliest person I can be to you. Got it. That's just that's my style. So all in, all in, much. man. Let's be like. Don't call me a friend if you don't want to be a friend. If even on Facebook, Instagram, if we're friends on Instagram, I don't see why I should have you as a friend on Facebook and Instagram and see your your photos, your videos, and not show some type of interaction with them. So if you're my friend, I'm double tapping. I'm liking. If it's your birthday, I'm on there with a comment, happy birthday, blah, blah, blah. I just don't, I don't get it. You're just trying to keep the connection going. I mean, yeah, the title means a lot to me. If you tell me we're we friends, let's be friends. Right. Yeah. I, a lot of people don't understand that. They don't get it. So I, and I understand it. I, so, um, I mean, and I also understand I can't make you think like me. So I accept your thought pattern, but I, um, I play defense too. Yeah, like you might not want to be friends. You might just want to be associates. I'm willing to be best friends with a person. They might just want to be an associate. So I'm willing to say, all right, I'll dumb it down and we'll just be associates. So, yeah, like there's per- people that are associates or acquaintances, and there are people for me that I say, oh, he's a friend. Absolutely. That's not my friend. He's right. a friend. Right. You know, like there's a, a boundary or a barrier that will never be crossed. Like, it's a mutual friend or something like that. That's an a friend. Absolutely. But when I say this is my friend, that's someone that, what you just explained. When I say someone is my best friend, yep. that person is held in a very different regard. Absolutely. People kind of skew that all the time with like, oh yeah, I got a bunch of friends and I got a bunch of best friends and I got, I'm like, no, no, no. When you're in a shitty situation, that's when you know who is a friend. Absolutely. And then you genuinely know who are your best friends. Yep. Because shitty situation, a, you know, a good friend will try to help a best friend type of a person will be there without even absolutely re, you know, they'll just drive over and be like, I'm here. What's up? What are we doing? Yep. How are we fixing this? Yep. How do we get out of this? Yep. That's the difference. I think that's what we need to start recognizing. I think social media screwed that up to a certain degree because everybody's a, a friend now. Yeah. And then, you know, and they do that so much in comedy too, where they've developed this, uh, this little saying that everybody's killing it. Oh, they killed it. They killed it. Hey, they killed Dude, they didn't kill it. Stop that. No. They didn't kill it. They might have did okay. They didn't kill it. You know, so it's like they took the sting away from, from all oh, they killed. You know, first of all, it's an open mic. You can't kill an open mic. You know what I mean? Second of all, 
Don't invite all your friends out and only your friends are laughing and you say you killed it. That's not how it operates. So, so it's like, I don't know. I don't know if it's a new generation. I don't know what it, everybody wants to be. It's like this uh, participation ribbon generation. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't matter who wins. We're all winners. No, it do matter who wins because if I got there first, I won. It matters because at some point you're going to go into the real world. Yes. And the real world just does not care. Exactly. It never has and exactly. it never will. Yep. Because some win, most lose. Yep. That's just a fact. That's it. That's it. It's just the way it's supposed to be. This generation, I think they don't want to accept losing. They want everybody to always be. It's not how it is. The, it builds character. The problem is, is like you, me, and I think a lot of people that I know have learned that Failure is an accepted part of life. Yes. Giving up is not. Right. You're supposed to fail on a never-ending yes. basis. And then when you do succeed, that's it. That's all you needed. It was like yep. you succeeded. But if you stop anywhere along the failure line, which is what most people do, mm-hmm. you didn't You didn't have that inside of you that says that like, I'm supposed to fail. Because yep. you were brought up thinking everybody wins. Yep. No, what is failure? Right. No, dude, you're supposed to fail. Yep, you complete you fail process. until you succeed. That's the yep. only way it works. That's it. It's going to teach you humility. It's going to teach you character. Um, I'm, and I'm glad. Like I said, like I'm thankful for my wife for the times when I wasn't funny. Right. And I wanted to be funny, but I just wasn't funny. And she didn't laugh and didn't just give me a sympathy giggle, but looked at me like. What you doing? It wasn't funny. You know what I mean? That little things like that, that fail right there. I, now, I could have got out to him like, ah, oh, you just tripping. You don't know. But no, she does know what's funny because when it was funny, she laughed. That's the marker of a true relationship when you can be honest with one another. I need that honesty in my life, whether it be friends, family, comic, or whatever. That's what I love about comedy. You get up there before comedy, I don't care how funny you was at grandma's house, at at the family reunion, at the uh, when all the cousins got together. You're here with strangers who do not know you, who do not care anything about you. All they want to know is, are you funny? Can you make me laugh? So when you pop them jokes off and those strangers respond to that joke by laughing, that's what I need right there. Yeah. and like, That's my satisfaction. And that's the other thing is like I could have put my time and money into a movie, the drinks at a bar. Yep. I decided to come here. Yep. So you have an obligation to entertain me. Yep. It sounds like a dick thing to say, but no, it's if true. I don't come, what the hell is the point of you being on the stage? And right. I, I am the proverbial I, like all yep. of the people that sit at a room in darkness wanting funny. Right. There's right. A, a ton of others, especially in Dallas, you can find something to do everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. You took time out of your busy schedule. You've been at work all week and you want to come to a comedy show and you want me to make you laugh. Psst. All right. I want to make you laugh. You want me to make you laugh. We don't have to play games. Let's get to it. Yeah, let's have some fun. Let's have some laughs. That's it. If I get a prostitute, I say this everywhere I go. If I get a prostitute, God forbid, if I buy me a prostitute, I don't have to sit there and ask her how how was her day. Hey, uh, Cinnamon Spice, how was your day? Hope everything was well. Did you do good? Did you get? Man, look, she want her money. I want what I want. We ain't got to do none of that. We can get right to business. That's how I feel about comedy. We don't have to do all that. Hey, guys, how's it going? All right. I just want, you're doing all right? Man, let's get to it. They want to laugh. I want to make them laugh. Let's get to it. The host will already have done that. Hopefully. Every, I mean, every host I've seen comes out, how's everybody doing? Dallas. Right. Kind of gets them riled up a little bit. 
goes into his or her routine. Yep. And then hypes up whoever is supposed to come up next. Like you've seen this person da 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 and da 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 killing it everywhere. Yep. Then that person comes up. Set the mood, get everything going. Pass yeah. the baton and we keep it going. I, I don't know. I think that's kind of like the the unwritten social contract between comedians and the audience is like mm. you make me laugh, I laugh, and you set up the next person. That's bottom line. Until we get bottom to the line. main event. It's like running a train, but it's comedy. You know what I'm saying? Pretty so. much. <laughs> and if somebody along the line messes up the train, it's over. Right. You done messed it up. Yeah. Good so. luck getting a reset. There you go. There you go, bro. And I think on that note, we can possibly call this uh, an end to this podcast. No doubt, man. Derek, it's been an absolute pleasure to sit down and talk to you. We barely scratched the surface of things, and I appreciate you giving us a little bit of insight into your life and what brought you to the stage. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Tell everyone where they can find you on social media so they can see you posting updates and things when you're going to be at the clubs. Cool. Check me out on all social media platforms at Derek Jack Funny, D-E-R-R-I-C-K, Jack Funny, all one word. Um, I got videos out. If you see any of my videos, man, double tap them videos, leave me a message, I respond back. Um, Hit me up. Come check me out. I perform at Hyenas, Fort Worth, Dallas, uh, Arlington Improv, Addison Improv. I travel in and out the state. I will come and do private shows as well if you want to connect with me. Again, Derek Jack Funny. Um, I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you. Thank you, Jared. I appreciate it. So Derek Jack Funny on all social media. Find him at the clubs all the time. Yes, sir. He is one funny person. Thank That's you. why he's here. I appreciate Thank you, everybody. It. Thank you. Bye.